Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. The Practical Guitarist Podcast is brought to you by Great Lakes Guitar Pickups. Great Lakes Guitar Pickups provides fantasy tones at prices a practical guitarist will love. Featuring top-notch construction, attention to detail, and a fully custom product, if you can dream it, Great Lakes Guitar Pickups can probably build it. Follow them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Pickups. Are you a regular listener? Why not? David here reminding you of all the ways you can participate in the Practical Guitarist Podcast. Subscribe using your chosen podcast app. Review us on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or Google Play. Find our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash practical guitarist or on Twitter as at practguitarist. Support the show. Merchandise is available in our Threadless store at practicalguitaristpodcast.threadless.com and donate to us via Patreon available at patreon.com slash practicalguitarist. Reach out to us directly via email at questions at practicalguitarist.com. Hello, Jim. Hi, David. What have you been up to? Oh, geez. I weigh, weigh, I weigh way too much. Is this a weight joke? No. Were you uh, <laughs> were you checking your phone like I was to make sure that I was yeah, not was, the one that was beeping I, during the countdown? Yeah, it, I was. I was not the one. But I, I muted it was it. definitely it was definitely me. Um, oh, man, I had uh, I'm freaking tired. I don't know. Um, so I was up at four o'clock this morning, uh-huh. and. Uh, it, it, Anybody who's on Facebook at four o'clock in the morning, just reach out to me, talk to me, because I'm not yeah. doing anything, you know. Because you're probably awake. It's amazing how much, how often I've uh, messaged you, and it's like, but, what the hell is he doing? Wait. Yeah, oh, dude, there are so many people. It's it's funny that there are like there are people in the group that I see who are regularly on at like three thirty, four o'clock in the morning. Some of them are local to me, yeah. which I'm I'm like completely flabbergasted. Like, don't you ever sleep? Like. <laughs> Because they're usually up later than I am, too. You can see the bags into my eyes though, right now. It's really bad. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. And then I got to get up early in the morning because my wife starts a new job, and she has to hit the train at like 6.30. So it's all, it's all shenanigans. It's what it is. It's um, shenanigans. So I got a lot of stuff going on, man. Um, I was at good time today. Uh-huh. And I think uh, – that's probably a good conversation for the show, actually. Um, so I walked in, uh, brought my Kemper. Uh, Jeff was kind of, we were kind of going back and forth in the Facebook group. And um, so I I brought it in to play it through some different cabs. Yep. And um, it was just kind of a whim thing because I'm like, I would like to have some cabinet variety. I, I'm not really thrilled with my V30s. Uh, this goes back to my conversation from last week. Um, I'm still kind of having some of the similar total, you know, guffaws. Um, I did, I plugged my, uh, Kemper into my, uh, my recording rig. I've been using my, uh, full range, you know, computer, uh, well, not computer, but my studio monitors, um, to, uh, monitor the, the Kemper here at the house lately. I didn't use my cabinet. And so, um, I was having a better experience using the computer monitors, but I was still rolling off a lot of highs. And, um, I wanted to just 
try some different things. So I took it in. Uh, we plugged it into the first cab. Actually, I just I saw a random cab and I was like, well, let's try this. They had a Marshall 212 vertical. And um, the cool thing about it was uh, the first the first profile I had on it was a train wreck. And uh, a train wreck express, which uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and give this out to our listeners. So tra- uh, train wrecks, Ken Fisher's company, uh, Ken Fisher passed in 2006. He made uh, a very small limited run of amplifiers under the train wreck name. Um, and this includes the train wreck express, the Liverpool and the rocket. The Express and, or the Rocket and Liverpool are kind of vaguely AC30 because they have an EL84 based power section. The Rocket is basically a hot rotted um, AC30. The Express is the, the amp that kind of made his name. It's basically a plexi that where it's been tuned to be the loudest, most aggressive, abrasive plexi on earth. Um, to the point where if he cut one of the wires wrong, the thing would self-oscillate. I mean, it's just it's just insanity how he built these things. Um, and anyway, so I got some profiles, and I put one on my Kemper, and I've been playing it for the last week. Um, now, again, been complaining about, you know, irritating high-end and stuff. You think a train wreck would be the opposite of what I'd want to do. Um, and that's kind of why I gravitated towards it, um, just to see what happened. And... Uh, we plugged it into this Marshall. It was like a, it was a 212 vertical cabinet. And I mean, it just brought that sound to life. Uh, I I had a moment when I, w- I backed up and I heard the cabin like pushing towards me. And I realized, Ooh, you know, this is this is a lot better than I than I was getting out of my puny little V30 mini rectifier cabinet, which it's not a bad sound cabinet. Um, but I just, I don't think that that sound is really what I'm going for right now. However, this is the funny part. So I asked Jeff, I said, well, what is, what is this Marshall I'm plugged into? He's like, that's an MG two by 12. Oh, geez. So it's like Celestian, Celestian 70 eighties in it. And I mean, it sounded pretty good. I was shocked by how good it sounded with the Kemper. Um, of course, you know, cabinets defeated and all that, like inside the Kemper, so that I'm not filtering it through it or whatever. Um, so we played around with that for 45 minutes or so, and then uh, just running different profiles through it. The standout was the course of train rack. Um, I think, actually, I liked a couple of the victory profiles through it too. Um, and then we played around with the uh, different effects. There were two guys in the shop, though, that were. Uh, they're regular visitors. Well, one of them is, and then I think the other one's a relative of his. And they were um, they were looking at the Fillmore. Now I gotta say, the Fillmore twenty five, the Mason Boogie Fillmore, the small one, dude. I I actually think I like the twenty five now, maybe more than the fifty. Yeah. And I I had said that I would buy the fifty over the twenty five, but I don't know. I would have to play them both side by side, and kind of switch back and forth because. The 25, he was able to get it to cook, and it wasn't – I mean, it was gig level, but it wasn't like the sound guy is going to come and beat you up after the gig kind of thing. Um, so anyway, when uh, I was playing like – one of the guys, I heard him mention some Robin Trower. So I started playing all this stuff off Bridge of Size, including Bridge of Size and 
played uh, Danny Eagle and it was playing uh, um, two Rolling Stone, which are the three songs I know best off that that record. And um, <laughs> I could tell the guy was like, holy crap, you know, uh, of course. And then they were also asking questions about the Kiesel. <clears throat> um, and that lasted another 20, 25 minutes. But then we get done and I was like, I was thinking I was going to pack up. And I started putting my stuff away. And I said, you know what? I said, I want to try Lone Star Cab. I tried one with my Mark V a while back. Um, they're open back. Um, they're kind of like they're in between some other things. So we we plugged in a Lone Star cap, and I was floored by the fact that it was open back. Um, it didn't project the way that the closed back cab does, obviously. Um, but it took away a lot of the harshness, and the frequencies seemed to even out and be much more to what I'm looking for in a in a spear cabinet. Um, I could definitely see myself, um, going more that way, um, for, for another cabinet. Now, um, the other thing that happened was I got to try out the Mesa Boogie Grid Slammer. Now I've known about this pedal for a while, but I hadn't, I hadn't had the wherewithal to plug it in. I was like, oh, it's just another tube streamer. Um, I almost bought it one time. I almost bought one one time. Um, just on a whim because I didn't have a tube screamer at the time. Um, I have a tube screamer now. I have a mini tube screamer and it's actually getting ready to get sold or given to somebody or whatever. Um, and, uh, I think when we talked about the, uh, maybe my, my, um, 50, 50, my, you know, Pelican always works 50, 50. I, we might have to make a deal on that, Jim, cause I, I gotta get one of those grid slammers. That thing. <laughs> it, 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 so it has um it has just the right contour of that mid scoop that you get in a tube screamer yep. but it's done in a different way i it is i jeff and i kind of went back and forth on whether we really consider it to be a tube screamer derivative i think the circuit is probably very very similar to most tube screamers but i think that the circuit is also um tailored to hit their amps well but because their amps are very particular um they have a particular set of skills no uh they the the way that the base contour is rounded it seems like it's more present like 500 hertz but it's just a little bit of a notch and then there's some stuff going on in the high end like almost like excitation but not so much like you get with a tube screamer with the the tone on like two o'clock if you've ever done that like it can get it can get pretty pretty rough depending on the amplifier um it was nothing but good with every profile i threw at it so I don't know what they what kind of special sauce they cooked up in that tube screamer um circuit to make that happen. And I don't care. Um what I do know is that I'll probably end up buying one. I still got a couple more I want to look at. I want to look at the full drive. Yes, I know everybody hates Mike Fuller. It's fine, you can hate him. Um I want to look at the full drive and then um that's really the last one I gotta check off my list. But I think I think I'm gonna end up with a grid slammer at this point. Um I really, really liked it. So but but I wanted to really talk about the cabinet question, which yeah. is so um, got me thinking. What are the advantages and and really a further discussion about like how you select the cabinet? Because we've talked yeah. about speaker selection and stuff on the show and like kind of the, phil- the philosophical ramifications. But I think um, just the just the the cabinet style and shape and and size. Um, 
and how you kind of determine what works uh, for the given setup you have. Now, I'm a believer, um, and I'll, I'll let you have the floor in a second, but I'm a believer that not one cabinet to rule them all. I think every guitarist needs a couple, uh, a couple of different ones, like maybe a closed back 1x12 and maybe a closed back vertical 212 and maybe you know something open back or even a convertible cab which that's becoming more popular um so jim go ahead oh yeah share your thoughts <clears throat> for me okay so for me a cabinet um one of my favorite cabinets four by ten probably one of the tightest um sounds that i've had i've got was from a four by ten um on the other side of that two by twelve definitely I've never tried a vertical two by twelve ever. I've only had a four by. You haven't lived. So that's, yeah, I was just going to say that would be a new thing for me, a new new bit of ground to be covered with me as far as a a, a vertical four by twelve. I don't or four by twelve, two by twelve. Sorry. So I'm not I'm not going to poo poo anybody by saying this. So the difference between a two uh, um, a horizontal two by twelve, yep. and a vertical two by twelve, this aside from the dimensions. Aside from the form factor, right? Um, so the the vertical two twelve, and I haven't experienced this in a venue, so I can't really comment on this too much. But it's supposed to project more. But what I notice is the frequency characteristics are different, and there's a reason for that. There's a couple no. a couple of good scientific reasons. Your bass frequencies drop, right? Um, and then that that uh, speaker that's up top tends to be a little bit more present, and right. it's also closer to your ear. So as you as monitoring your cab, you know, as it's like hitting you from behind or on the side, you're going to be able to hear it better. Um, for me, I play small box heads. It's actually really nice at the Kemper because the Kemper's higher up. I don't have to get down as close to see the screen, um, which I shouldn't really need to see the screen. But uh, unfortunately, I end up playing different venues and people can't figure out that you can send line signal over microphone cable or uh, microphone signal over microphone cable. So they tend to tell me, Oh, it's too hot or it's too quiet. Even though the last time I was there, it was, I had, I haven't changed the settings, you know, um, that actually happened to me at the last gig. We recalled the preset from the prior gig um, <laughs> on, the, on the mixer. And he goes, you're too quiet. And I'm like, I don't understand because my, my volume is set the same. And He's like, I don't know. And I'm, I didn't, I wasn't going to make bones with him. I was just like, all right, I'll, I'll adjust it. Cause in the back of my head, I'm going, maybe you should try line level. <laughs> <laughs> but um, <laughs> anyway, anyway, it's funny to see people that don't even know what you're talking about. You'd like to hear the song anyways. What? Oh, Alexa, Alexa shut up. I don't know. Like <laughs> <laughs> you're talking. What the heck did you say that, that would indicate to her that you wanted a song play? I don't I don't out. know. And and knowing <laughs> knowing that thing over there, it'll probably play uh some some uh, cannibal corpse or something. Um uh, you know, in the back of the goes, Yeah. <laughs> and then and then and then Jim will watch me start windmilling, you know. <laughs> and then my wife will have to call the paramedics because I'll throw my back out. <laughs> Um, yeah, that would be bad. Yeah. So, That'd be bad. Real bad. So the, 
obviously, I think the the selection process on cabinets, well, it, it depends on what you're trying to achieve totally, obviously. Yeah. I think the total difference. All right. <sighs> Again, outside of those obvious differences with the two by 12, that's, that's vertical. This is what I could see. Because obviously, most two by 12s are going to port somewhere. You're going to have some porting, right? Potentially. Right. Potentially. Well, I'm talking about inside the cabinet. You're going to build the cabinet. For those who think a cabinet is just a square box, it's no, right? Of- it, it's dimensions is how how wide are the speakers apart from one another? Um, right. Oftentimes, you know that front baffle. There's no divider, and that really depends on the quality of the cabinet whether there's a divider or not. I've seen, you know, I've seen both situations. Um, typically, your heavier cabinets are going to have some sort of divider in the center, and then there'll probably be a porthole or something for the for the so that there's not pressure buildup in the cabinet, basically, um, right? To prevent rattling and all that. Yep. But it's, and so, yeah, go ahead. I, I would think that because, okay, so a two by 12 that's flat to the ground, a two by 12 that's standing up, you'd, you'd be I'm trying to picture the, the, pour, the push of sound. I would think that you'd, you, your whole tonal fo- focus of sound would be like for uh, people who can't see me, I'm kind of. He's got, a, he's, got, yeah, he's got a big yeah. clamshell going here. Yeah. So if you're if you're totally boarding uh, a two by twelve that's vertical, you would start pushing the the sound would be almost almost like this. Yeah. It, where it would go straight and at an upper angle and up. Right. Yeah. Where a two by twelve is sitting down, it's going to do this. It's gonna, sure, it's going to go out and out in uh, like in a V from from the cabinet from right. the center of the speakers. Um, so, I think you're partially right. Um, I think the upper speaker, the two by twelve, is really the uh, the really the the vertical two twelve is really the the um, wild card, and that's because that speaker doesn't have as much acoustic coupling going on as the speaker on the bottom of the cabinet where the feet of the cabinet are. So if you think about like orange, orange understands that the acoustic coupling enhances the base of their cabinets. So they put these like, they're not really feet. They're like a long bar of wood on the bottom of their cabinets, sometimes with grip tape. Um, I've seen them with, with rubber too, uh, to grab the floor. Um, this is, something that would not translate as well, I think, in a vertical 212 format. And and I wanna I wanna make a distinction because I've seen people take a 212 cabinet, just our standard 212, and then put it on its side. That is not the same thing. It's similar, but it's not the same thing because you don't have like so in the typical 212 uh vertical I've seen they usually slant the top speaker back slightly. Um, just like in a you know four by twelve, um, that and that's not to say all of them do it, but I I think that's probably the desired configuration if you're going to do that. Um, the one thing I don't like about them though, so like if you ever seen the the Mesa Boogie uh, rectifier um, two twelve vert, it's huge. It's almost the size of a four by twelve. Yep, it's half the weight, but it's almost the size of a four by twelve. Um, right now I'm in between vehicles. I'm, I'm having to cart everything around in a Jetta. So a 212 vert is not probably going to work for me. If you had bought a Jetta and then sold it and got it back, 
Would that be a return of the Jetta? Yeah. I'm, I'm just wondering. A return of the Jetta? <laughs> and, and are we talking about the car or the Dr. Z amp? <laughs> Does yeah, it matter? Exactly. Does it doesn't matter, matter on this show. It, the, the joke is just as bad, no matter how you look. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Dr. Z in, in the TARDIS flying around in uh, a galaxy far, far away a long time ago. Um, you know, waiting for the return of the Jetta. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. I must be, uh, I must be doing some hardcore drugs tonight. Let me tell you folks. Woo! Um, all right. So that aside, right? Like I think this, we as guitar players, we're having this conversation. We're thinking about cabinets and we're thinking about tone, right? Right. But the reality is the cabinet is the one part of your rig that takes up the most space and the most weight. And so let's face it, the vast majority of working guitar players pick it based on weight and size. Um, that's right. And that's a, yep. almost as important criteria as tone for, yep. mo for most players. Like, obviously, if you got roadies and stuff, that's a whole other ball right. of wax. But um, in my case, I'm in the unique position of um, probably going to buy a car in the next couple of months. Um, I'm already looking. Um, and I'm going to get a big trunk. I'm going to probably get an SUV actually. Um, yeah. And small SUV, but big right. enough that I could probably cart around a four by 12 if I wanted to. Right. Do I want to do this? No. no. Um, no even, even now I'm like, no, because I'm going to be the one that's moving it around. Uh, I'm not going to ask. I, that's the first thing I want to, I want to point out. So if you have a band that's like really helpful and they're going to help you with your gear, that's great. I'm not that guy. Okay. I really don't want to ask people to help me with my gear. And it's not that um, it's not that I'm prideful or anything like that. It's just that that's my burden. I, you know, especially if I'm getting paid for it, like that shouldn't be your responsibility. It should be my responsibility. Plus there's other reasons too, um, which we can get to later in the show. Cause I, cause I actually have another story I want to talk about. Um, but uh, yeah. So it's, the other thing is uh, with, with cabinets, now we're starting to get into this whole realm of like there being these alternative cabinets like FRFR cabinets or kind of pseudo FRFR cabinets. Um, thinking about the uh, Tech 21 power cab, power amp thing, the power engine, which is a 60 watt solid state amplifier with a Celestian 7080 in it that is meant for amplifying modeling devices. And um, it's not incredibly loud in the cabinet. It's not the best in the world. It's a $400, you know, basically very simple powered speaker. Um, and it sounds okay. It's not the greatest thing in the world, but I mean, you could gig with it if that was your primary method. Um, and that is, I mean, when I see them in guitar stores, they list it as a cabinet, which kills right. me because it's like, it's not a cabinet, it's an amplifier. Yep. Um, and I'm just thinking like FRFR is like an extension of that. So now you have like the Mission Engineering Gemini cab and uh, Mission Engineering's uh, 2x12 offering, which is conveniently painted green to match a certain other device um, that they're not endorsing. Um, but they also make other green products for it's weird. You might want to go look into that. I think it'll, I think it'll explain, you know, that whole thing. But anyway, they make a two by 12 cabinet and actually their cabinet looks straight up like a ripoff of the, um, the Mesa. 
but I think it's supposed to be more of an FRFR affair. So it's probably like a an oversized two by twelve vert with like those um uh Celestian G twelves customized for flatness or the, the was the new F twelve or whatever is the one that they're doing this. Right. Um which I have not heard good things about. Which nope. I, I not the model of the universe, but I've seen some people complaining. But I also kind of wonder if it was user error. Um Yeah, I always wonder that too. Well, because there was a whole like I saw a post in the Kemper group and there was like a uh like 30 posts following it where people were like, no, you should do this, no, you should do that. And it and it almost seemed like the guy didn't understand that you're supposed to turn your cabinet modeling on when you're plugged into an FRFR cap. Um but then at the same time, it was like, I'm not really sure if that's what's going on here. So, um, but the other thing I've seen uh, now is that, so Celestia is starting to market replacement FRFR speakers for guitar caps. So in other words, it, Kemper came up with this idea too. They wanted to to get a cab that was voice neutrally that people could install in their their the speaker in their own cabinets and then use the the um, uh, the cabinet modeling inside the Kemper to, you know, justify that. Um, and now they're kind of going another way with it where the Kemper itself may actually be able to emulate certain speakers kind of a la power cab without a smart cabinet where the, the Kemper would take over the intelligence <coughs> part of it. Um, right. Cool idea. Haven't seen an execution yet, but I will say this, the speakers are already starting to make it into the marketplace. And I think it's a little confusing because people say, Oh, well, this is a guitar driver. But it's not really a guitar driver. And then you go and you put this in a cab. And yes, it's it, it's optimally designed to be used in sort of like a guitar cab scenario. So it's like there's no horn in the cab and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's not a plastic cab. It's a wooden cab. So you, there's certain things you can do to the speaker to make it fit in those um, those sorts of scenarios. But the thing that they neglect is that a Marshall cabinet is not constructed in any way like a Fender cabinet or Mesa Boogie cabinet or um, an Orange cabinet or any of the other <laughs> major cabinet vendors. I mean, Mesa makes ported cabs. They make the feel, you know, and I don't think that's going to operate the same with that speaker as, say, like, you know, a big Marshall 4x12. Um, so I'm kind of like at a loss as to why they would be doing this. No, never mind the fact that because those cabs are neutral, you're going to be introducing several layers of filtering as opposed to just a speaker model. You've got a microphone model on that and you've got air and then the speaker model and then anything else in that signal path will be reproduced, reproduced by the speakers. So the idea of going to like a true FRFR where you have like a PA cabinet makes more sense for that scenario. Until Kemper gets their update out, it's going to allow people to just dial in. Okay, so this is going to sound like a cream bag, you know. Um, I I will say this: I'm more excited about Kemper's application of the speaker modeling idea than I am Line Six's implementation of it. And uh, I don't want anybody to take that the wrong way. I'm not a you know I'm not anti Line Six in any way. I just I see that. Kemper will be able to continuously maintain, modify, and add speaker models to their product even after, you know, the rollout of that feature, whereas Line 6 is going to be kind of stuck with what you get when you buy it, um, which is only, what, five models, I think? 
you you're a guitarist there, Jim. You've heard the power cab now, I'm sure. Yep. What do you yep. th- what do you think of it? I like it. Well, compared I like it. compared to a traditional <clears throat> guitar cab. <clears throat> okay, well, all right. For me, oh geez, how do I say this? I like a lot of traditional cabs. A, a lot. Um but I think it holds its own. I think it's uh, it's easier for me to, uh, if I was going to put it in place, you know, I mean, move it around. Um, that's you got to remember portability for the the average person is a is a big deal. Yeah, yeah, and it's got to be durable, and that that's where the power cab really comes into play. I it feels like something you can. You know, that can fall off of the truck is it, as you're moving it in. Is it pla- I mean, the little hand truck. And is it plastic or wood? I don't remember. I think it's wood. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember. I, I know I've had my hands on it multiple times. You think I? But it's got a this. nice, got a nice coating. It feels rugged. Yeah, it, did, it um, didn't seem like it was cheap plastic. If it was plastic, no, not like an no. Alto. You know, one of the cheaper Alto cabs, like the traditional format. You know, a PA cab. Right. Um, do, do, do you guys have the the one with the speaker modeling in stock? I think they all have the speaker modeling, right? I I believe so. Yeah, the one we have has the speaker Did, modeling in stock. Have you in stock? Have you got a chance to mess around with the speaker modeling? Yep. What did you think of yep. that? Because that's one th- feature I haven't really played around with too much. I liked it. Um, you could definitely hear total differences, whether or not because I mean, after you play with performance, like, does that really sound like that? Yeah, maybe, but. I'll say this, at least it does give you those tonal varieties. You might find something you like where if you buy a, a traditional uh, cabinet, you don't have that. Right. You don't have it at all. Unless you swap the speakers yourself, and even then it's right. difficult to do Navy. Um, exactly. I have a – so I had, I was having a conversation with someone who'd actually bought one, right? And they were yep. telling me that um, in their opinion, they thought the speaker modeling was kind of cartoony. And and in the sense that, like, so they're like, oh well, the I think there's a greenback model in there. I'm going to use that as an example. It's the green or the blue. I'm not sure which. Um, right. And they were making a comment that it's like, it's like the worst implementation of the greenback in the sense that it's like a very brittle sound, um, which the yeah. greenback is often described that way. I've heard people say that before. Yeah. It's yeah. a br- you know muscular but brittle sound, um, yeah. and that that's uh, you know it kind of fell apart under pressure because it was like, well, it doesn't have any of the stuff that, you know, would round the speaker out and make it more palatable. It's like they focused on the characteristics they knew people would look for. Um, and I'm not going to get in the middle of the debate because I obviously don't have the, the breadth of knowledge on it, but I think the power cab is, is a very unique new option for guitar players. Even if you're using a traditional amplifier, to run a line out to a power cab and use that from a speaker modeling. And then you can have different speaker models for different sounds. Right. So I'm sure anybody who's tinkered with modeling in the past is considered using a fender for clean and a Marshall for dirt. And you could actually literally set that up where you have a MIDI, you know, MIDI adapter and, you know, you hit a switch and they both change, including your, your modeler changes from fender to Marshall and your speaker changes from you know a jensen to a greenback um which i think 
mean, there's there's valid applications to that. Also, the fact that you could have your sound guy mic it like a traditional yep. cab. That exactly that's kind of bonkers to me. Um, when you have like a sophisticated piece of digital tech that you're going to have a mic it. Yeah, you're going to put a mic in front of it. Yeah, yeah but uh, I mean, I, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I think um, the the principles of using a microphone as a filter or an EQ really apply there, and it gives you another another um, level of tone shaping. Right. I don't think the power cab with the built-in IR is a slick a deal, um, personally. But um, just because the IR kind of defeats the purpose of having the ca- the speaker model, um, because the IR does not model the speaker; it models the speaker, the microphone, and the signal chain that goes along with that. Yep. So, um, yeah, I I like the power cab. I'm I'm a fan. I think I would look into getting one personally um, for a lot of various reasons. Obviously, it would be for use with a camper uh, down the road. Um, so it, I'm not sure if if um, as much as I love a 4x10, and that is my favorite configuration, 4x10. Um, much as I love a 4x10, um, realistically, at my age, it would literally have to come with its own hand truck. I mean, and a little bit of motor on it. So I have one of the hand trucks that they sell. Um, I happened to get one while Guitar Center had them on sale or whether it was a blowout or what. Um, but it has like a little wheel configuration where I go upstairs, go up and downstairs with it. They have that? Yeah. Uh, how and, much uh, is that? I got it. Now, here's... I don't, care, I don't care what you got it for. Tell me how much it is retail because I'm going to go buy one. Well, I got it for $54. When I, got it. I, I don't know how much it is for retail. Hold on. It's It's probably a um, hundred bucks. Yeah. I was going to say it was, it was just about a hundred, a hundred. If it goes up and downstairs, money. take my yeah. money. Jim, Jim yeah. I, I don't. I'll get you just, one. If I see it, just, just seriously. I'll buy you one and I'll send it. Take to my <laughs> money. Just take it. Yeah. I have cash in hand. Like I'm literally holding it in my hands right now. Yeah. That is something that would prevent me from doing a lot of stupid crap. Um, oh yeah, I love it. I got it in there. Um, it's the coolest little thing. It goes, you know, instead yeah. of clock, it's clock, like the thing clock. that Hannibal Lecter it's uses not, in Hannibal when he rolls right, a guy it, up the stairs so he can gut him and throw him out the window. Right. Perfect. Yep, that's the one. Except, well, his is motorized, but you know, yeah. Um, I would, that's why I said it would have to be a truck and it would have to have motors on it. I. I I tested out a. Um, uh, I was looking at a used uh, Fender Delo- Fender Deville. Yeah, four by ten, and I love the sound. All right, I mean, all right. Uh, I, I know. I know you like. I'd be banging it around, dude. And the tubes, dude. If you're gonna get, if you're gonna get a Fender Deville four by ten, do not get a Fender Deville four by ten. Save yourself the money, and go get yourself a Super Reverb. Exactly. Because why would you do that to yourself? Oh, it's like it's honestly i don't even know why the fender deville 4x10 exists anymore because it's just like I don't, here why don't i just and this is this can, is a male analogy you know i'm a man so i can use this analogy yeah, um, but i'm it. sure there's a female analogy and you know, whatever but like yep. just cut my balls off because yeah. because honestly like the uh the super reverb that's where it's at that's the whole reason yeah. that amp exists, in my opinion. I mean, yes, of course, there's the Fender basements and stuff, but um, 
they don't do it. In my opinion, they don't do a great basement impression. Yeah. But they do do a sort of halfway decent super reverb impression. And you can get silver face super reverbs, which are, you know, very close to the black face era of amplifiers for peanuts. I mean, I think I saw one go recently for $780 in our area. Um, yeah. So, you know. <clears throat> yeah, relatively inexpensive it, when you think about it. Um Love it. it would be easy to convert um, it to, to blackface spec if you wanted to as well. I mean, that's yeah, yeah, more power than most people want to handle. But so we're while we're talking about cabs, we're talking about Fender. Um, I uh, I got to you try again the um, the two by twelve Tone Master. Is it? Yeah. Master? So you're all you're all into the twin. I'm telling you, that thing was incredible. I don't want a twin, though. Like, that's the last thing I'd be interested in. Okay, so you know how we, we <laughs> talked about what are the things that guitar is going to become? What is guitar? Sure, sure. Towards, right? And I could definitely see the twin being like the archetypical amp. Yep. But here's here's something I want to say. Right after did, we did that, guess who did that same uh, discussion? Rick Beato. I, I know. You know what's funny? And so did Ryan Rick Beato. Dark. He brought it up again too on his show. Did he? Yeah. So Rick Beato went into that, and guess what? They came up with the same points we did. I had to laugh because um, three guys on Beato's panel came up with the same. Point. I'm not saying we're great. I'm just saying that it is a given. Certain things need to happen with guitar to move forward, right? To go into a new age, um, and I think, and they mentioned that the. Um, they mentioned the, the amp that I was talking about there, the Tone Master. And what's funny is they mentioned it, um, and they said the same thing that I said. Number one, the, the DI out, that needs that needs improvement. Okay. I couldn't get one right now, I don't think, because the DI out for it, which is obviously one of the things you can use for it, um, needs to be better. They need to make it so you can upload a DI. Or you There's know, no like way like some sort of impulse response or whatever. Is it just yep. like a straight line out or what is it? I, I have it. It's just a, yeah, it's just a straight XLR out. And I think, I don't know if there's even a ground lift. Uh, well, there's supposed to be a cab model on it. I know. That, and it's supposed to be yes. that, like their IR of that cabinet. That's right. And they did, that's where they, they dropped the ball. Yeah. Because so many people, it's like everybody mics amps differently. And I think part of the signature sound of some guitarists is the way they mic games. Like Brian May comes to mind. He's a big, big guy that says that I want, you know, a 57 direct on the cone and nothing else. <clears throat> yep. Um, so you really don't have much choice when it comes to the Tone Master um, as far as the, uh, the output, which is which just seemed weird to them and to me. You can't upload your own IR when it comes to that. that amp. Um, you should at least now, have options for different ones. Right. That's what I'm saying. Because you don't always just want the one that you have. And it is really the one that they provide is not that good. So I guess there's there's three amp sims that I'm not sure. Let's see. Um, I'm not really sure what the three amp sims are based on. But uh, it says one, two, and F. I have no idea what that means. But um, yeah, and you have a balance line out. You have a, you have a level four. 
So you have a level ground lift and one one F and two. But they are programmed in, they can't be changed. Yeah, so that's that that would have to change. I actually Oh here it is. It says Yeah, don't even tell you where they are. Well, you know what? I don't even really care if it has a line out because that amp is really supposed to be mic'd up. I yeah. mean, that's and you would think, a two, yeah, a two by twelve. That's the whole re- idea for buying a two by twelve. If you're gonna do this amp, which the ones I'm talking, the one I'm talking about is the Twin Reverb 100 two by twelve. Um, I know there's a one by twelve as well. If you're gonna get this, and it's relatively light, we have a two by twelve in the store. I was amazed at how light they're what like twenty seven pounds or twenty eight pounds. Yeah, 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 super light. Yeah. Um, what did I see the other day? Oh, so Mesa came out with a with a one by ten version of the Mark Five twenty five, um, mm-hmm. in a one by ten combo. Jim, guess the weight on that? Uh, forty seven pounds. Twenty. I think it's twenty two pounds. Wow, it's twenty two or twenty four. It's light. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, usually Mesa. For a two. We've got it. And I, I mean, it's basically, the, it's the same head, right? Which yeah. is like 11 pounds or 13 pounds. With right. a one by 10 cab with a, with a cream pack in it. Wow. I mean, it's, but it's a lot of amp for the, I mean, for the money, it's 16, I think it's 16.99. It's not a cheap amp, but it, I mean, that's a configuration. I mean, if you're, if you're small gig, you know, or like a rehearsal amp, a Mark Five Twenty Five is—I mean, you can play that in a, on a big stage, and nobody's going to bat an eye, um, as long as it's mic'd up, you know, uh, depending on how big the stage and how loud your drummer, etc. Um, but I mean, my Mark Five Twenty Five can stay clean and be louder than any drummer I've ever played with, and that's saying something. Um, so yeah, but like a little one by ten. My only comment on the amp was that I hate one by tens. I've never been a big fan of a one by ten. I've had a Princeton. Um, I've had various other little one by tens. Um, and while I've had okay results, I've never found one that was like, "Yeah, that's a that's what I want right there." I had a two by ten I really liked, but I've never had a one by ten that I liked. I think you have to have like a certain amount of air moving with guitar, and I think a one by ten just falls slightly short of what I like. Because I, it, it's it's a thinner, yep. more shrill sound because you're not moving as much air. Right. I. Um, so just to finish with what the uh, the um, Fender had, it the F means a flat response. Uh, In other words, you're sending out a flat response. So it's um, two IRs um, and a flat response, but it doesn't tell you or like a like a neutral high. two IRs and neutral. So just so then yeah. you can apply your own IR with a with an output yeah. modeling device. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah. I, going back to the one by ten, I have not met a one by ten I liked. It would be hard for me. Now the the beauty of the the amp that you're talking about the the, the Mesa is this. I can always put it to something. Always put right, and I was getting there. Which is that it has a, yeah. you know, a plethora of options for a flexible there's, output. There's overhead galore. It even has a cab clone that you'll never use. Um, yeah. Because the first time yeah. you do, you'll realize, wow, that's a waste. 
Um, that's on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm waiting for Mesa Boogie to do an official factory modification. And they may never do it because the amps are so popular. I'm sure they've sold more of those than they did Mark II C pluses. Um, oh, yeah. The the uh, they should be a, there should be a factory mod where they take instead of the closed back and vintage position when you put it in the the uh, closed back position it defeats the uh, cabinet modeling and just gives you a direct out because that's all we really want from that thing you your like your analog modeling quote unquote of of a speaker is horrible. <laughs> I mean, if that's what if that's what guitar amps sound like recorded, uh, no one would play them. <laughs> no, um, no, it, it's just it's very flat sounding. It's not. Yep. It does not sound like a speaker. No, it sounds like an EQ actually. Tweaks yep. doesn't sound like a speaker. It's very harsh. Um, yeah, but uh, no. So I I think that's a good distinction too, is that like we're in the era right now where cabinets really don't mean anything. You don't need, you don't right. need to have one. I mean, you could no. buy it is part of our cabinet discussion. You could buy something like the, um, the Sir reactive load or even the, yeah. uh, the Mesa boogie IR loader. And yeah, that's it. That's the only thing you yeah. need, uh, that an amplifier or even like a torpedo, uh, the, they have the two notes torpedo yeah, cap. I think it's the captor is the one that goes on your board. Um, and you can run your pedal board direct into it. Um, yep. and Moore has the radar, which I, and, and I think there's like the Nux solid studio and some other products that are, that are similar. Um, that is like a power <clears throat> amp modeler and cabinet yeah. modeler with IR capability that you literally just run your pedals into. Now the beauty of two, um, two notes captor, whether you get the eight, the four or the 16, it's the price of a decent um, uh, cap, but it weighs what? Three yeah. pounds? I mean, <laughs> it's one less piece of gear you have to carry because it's mounted on your board. And uh, now, the what is it? The PT15? Right? Yeah, the amplifier. Uh, that's an amplifier, though. Yeah. The PT15, uh, that's Pete Thorne's, obviously. 15. We're going to see more uh, amps with IR loaders built in. It's going to happen. Um, it's only right. a matter of time. You're going to see a lot of tube amps come with IR loaders in the next 15 years. Um, right. Specifically, probably the next five years. I expect that there will be at least one announced at NAM. I think we're going to see – well, you know, I said this last year. Okay, so I have a feeling that Wampler's coming out. Oh, that's going to happen. It's just, it just hasn't happened yet. Yeah, it's a matter of time. And that I can see all of the all yeah. of those guys like Wampler, Keeley, and the other and all the others doing it at the same time. <laughs> like they're gonna roll out within a year of each other. And these guys are truly yeah. gonna do it's gonna be Wampler, Keeley, somebody like that is truly gonna do. When we talk amp in a box, we're gonna get an amp in a box. I really think yeah, I was gonna say I think uh Wampler is probably the guy to do it because his product line is very very largely seen as a collection of amp and box pedals. Um yep. And then I think everybody else will follow suit with something that's not an amp in a box necessarily, but it'll be an IR loader for their pedals to run into. And they might even bring out little lines of amp in a box pedals to fit their IR loader. Um, I used right. to think Tech 21 was the king of that, the amp in a box thing. They were. They were oh, for yeah, but they were the, it's because they were the only ones doing it. Now, I yep. mean, dude, there's so many great amp in a box pedals. And we talked about yeah. the, the uh, Ethos TWE last week. I mean, I've been looking at clips of that thing all week, 
And that, I mean, that thing is monstrously good. And the only thing it doesn't have is a speaker emulator. If it had a speaker emulator, it'd be a done deal. I'd order, I'd order one already. Um, yeah. And then there's a uh, new neighbor has their, um, what do they call it? IQ or something, um, which is their yeah. amp modeler in a box. And it's, I mean, it's just ridiculously powerful. Um, the, the, is it the, I don't know. You have to look it up. They have, they have one. Right yeah. Um, I know they have one. Cause I've been looking at it too. Uh, let's see. It's, Ooh, it's not the, I always like looking at new neighbor stuff. Um, yeah, I, I understand why. I mean, it's the neuro, I mean, gain intelligence, That's which it. has, I'm looking right which at has an, one IR built into it, but there's another, there's a, a corresponding product. That's like an expander for that. That allows you to yep. add all sorts of cabinet modeling functionality to that existing pedal. Um, yep. Which I think New Neighbor, if you're if you're not familiar with their product range, like they're like a, a well kept secret in the states. I don't think they're super popular. Their pedals are not cheap. I mean, they're two hundred fifty bucks a piece for most of them, and some of them are three hundred. Um, yeah. But from what I've seen and what they do, I mean, they're powerful boxes. They have a reverb that is just sick. Um, I but I I would be more interested in for the purposes of this conversation looking at the uh, the cabinet modeler that they're building. Um, so they have two. They have a, a section called the drive and. Uh, um, yep. Yeah. I'm looking at so it. the Akina class is their speaker. Yep, the Akina class, and it's only two, it's yep. two hundred fifty bucks. Two hundred fifty bucks. Low mid high yep. and gate, and I believe it's got a USB port on it, and I'm pretty sure you can upload IRs into this. Um. And I, I think you still need a direct box for this, if I recall. But I mean, for two hundred fifty bucks, like even the um, the blue box from from Amp One is not a um, you can't load IRs into it. Um, although I do see that they don't talk about loading IRs; they talk about um, using your PC to make deep editing. Um, I would assume that that that's a feature, but I maybe it's not. Um, but even so, just the ability to have more control over the um, the the device because this has got similar controls to what you'd find on like the Blue Box, for example. Um, yep. Except that it doesn't have a it does not have a model selector, so you probably have to do that in the software. Um, I don't know. I like the Blue Box. I still think the Blue Box is probably the quality option. If you're if you're gonna go, but but the iconoclast is I think a hundred bucks cheaper, hundred fifty yeah. bucks cheaper. Um, yep, for two fifty, it would definitely be something to look at. Um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I think we're gonna see a lot more products like this. There are actually a lot more than probably people care to realize right now. There's a lot of direct boxes that offer a cabinet modeling option. Um, this is this is the one thing that those guys said on the on the video that I have to agree with wholeheartedly. I'd like to see more companies do what vendor did and that is to come out with i'd love to see like marshall do a um, tone master like version of at, you know some of the more iconic at, after amps. the the disaster that was marshall code i predict they're gonna they're gonna wash their hands of digital for a while it's possible i mean they might but if they do come out with a new product it's gonna be 
someone else's design with their name on it. Well, I think that's the problem with the with the um, uh, well, maybe Marshall in general right now, because at least on the digital side, because I if I remember right, all of the code inside of the code was actually done by another company. We don't know that for sure. That, that, yeah. that's, I, I do know PD when they did the Viper series, when they first started to come out with their, with their digital modeling thing, they hired a very prestigious, well-known modeling company to come in and do all of their work for them. And right. no one has ever confirmed to me what company it was. They've all, I've had two PV employees tell me this happened. And kind of in a roundabout way, they suggested it was either Line 6 or Strymon, which right. I believe it would have been damage control at the time if it was if it was Strymon. Because it was before they became – before they did the Strymon thing. Um, right. And those guys came in and consulted because they were out of work for PD, and they designed all of the front end of the Viper. So the Viper is kind of like right. what Line 6 could have become um, had they continued down that path. But yeah, I, essentially, that's what I've been told. I don't know if that's that's necessarily the, the way that that works out. It's never really been confirmed that, you know, hey, so we, we hired Line 6 to come in and do it. But they definitely right. had some help from people in the industry that were in the know. Um, yeah. And PV's got, PV has some money at that point to throw around. They've got nothing now. I can't, I, I mean, they, their PA systems have got to be the only thing keeping them in operation at this point. Um, yeah, it, it's got to be. I mean, they still say they still sell a lot of fifty-one or sixty. Sorry, sixty-five oh fives. Sixty-five. And uh, they still sell like they got the Misha Mansoor stuff, but I think uh, they don't have a. They haven't had a hit guitar in a while. I can't remember nope. like a hit PA product that they've been putting out. I know they have a big nope. big inroads with the Praise and Worship circuit. I haven't seen anything from them on the bass side of things. Yeah, I mean, they were making some stellar uh, instruments on both the bass and guitar aisle when they had uh, EVH over there and um, really around that time, yeah. same time period. Yeah, well, I think that uh, I someone would have to correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, maybe our friend Robert Jackson could, could chime in, but um, I think they've stopped making any musical instruments in the States, if any. Uh, no, they actually just brought some back. Yeah, Did they? Um, they're making okay. they're making uh, EVH shaped guitars again. Uh, no, that's as of like last year, I think. Um, if you go to their website, I don't know if they've actually hit the streets, but they had announced it. Um, they were calling it something else, though. I think it the H two. Yeah, that's that's. Is that out yet? I haven't. Seen no, it. I don't. So I don't think they've actually hit the streets yet. They're probably in litigation. Oh my god! But I, but I'm That's gonna be good. honest with you, like I am very interested. Um, if the HP twos come out, they are USA made, by the way. Um, yeah. if they actually do get through the process of doing it, if they can make one with like a like a roasted maple neck, I would be all in. I'd pay to refret it. Because yeah. I had I had a special and I let it go and I don't miss it, but I feel like I if I found the right one, I would be I would be all in, you know. So if they're making, I wonder if they're still making the Cirruses in in the states. Um, it's a possibility. 
I thought they had they had overseased production to everything, and now it looks like they're starting to come back. By the way, these are available for sale um, because oh. there are reviews on them there, and there are people with pictures of them. Wow! Um, and actually, what's pretty amazing um, is this guitar is like the case is even nice. I mean, it's yeah, dude. I'm I'm all in. You know what I wish PB would do? I wish PB would give Buddha a fair shot. Stop yeah. trying to cheapen it. Stop trying to pimp the name and make some honest to God boogie or like not boogie, but Buddha designs like what they had in the beginning. Go back to those original amplifiers and make some stuff that people actually want. They got they have the V20 series two super drive. I don't want a V20 Series 2. I want a Super Drive. And I want it to be like a Super Drive. <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, it's my rant on uh, Voodoo for the night. So let's switch gears. I have another, I have another anecdote. Um, well, guess what? It says I could get one at Guitar Center. Yeah, you just Guitar Center is a stocking I, I might look to see if I could get my hands on a HP2... Moonburst. Yeah, there's some nice That's looking a- guitars, man. Um, wow. So here we go. Uh, anecdotally, um, yep. I bought cable supplies this morning. I bought okay. TechFlex. I bought, which is not really TechFlex. It's um, uh, what they call it, uh, expandable sleeving. Um, I bought expandable yep. sleeving. I bought um, heat shrink, whole kit of heat shrink because I don't have any. I bought... Um, cable i bought four neutric plugs for xlr male female two two each um and then yeah so i bought all the stuff i need to make two 25 foot um or 20 really i'm going to go shoot for 20 foot cables and then have like five foot of excess if i you know do it right the first time um and i'm i'm like i'm, I'm a little frustrated because i'm having to make cable um i really I hate making things, but I'm kind of sitting here thinking like, why are more microphone cables not coming with tech flex at this point? That should be an option for a lot of cable companies to be looking at. And I understand why I mean, tech flex. So tech flex, the brand is, a, is an expensive product, but collapse and the, but the expandable sleeving is not expensive in bulk. So I bought a hundred feet of it. it cost me $12 on Amazon. Now, whether this is rated for fire or anything like that, because it's a plastic product, who knows? But um, I'd like to believe that this is probably just the same stuff, and it probably is. Um, So here's the deal. I got to thinking like when I was – before I pulled the trigger, because I was up at 4 o'clock this morning, um, and I was kind of investigating this and watching YouTube videos, people assembling XLRs and stuff. Because I never actually built an XLR. I built plenty of quarter inch and stuff over the years. But um, I was looking and I and I thought to myself, well, looking at actual like pre-bought cable, pre-built cables. And I was going, what I want is really going to be about – there's one brand I could probably buy and get away with for cheap. But I was – but I'm just tired of breaking cheap cables, you know? Um, I've, I've gone through three in, in as many weeks, almost, I think I'm four weeks. I think I've gone through three XLRs. Um, and 
they're they're twenty bucks a piece for a twenty foot cable. I I don't think it's an expensive price, but when but when the the twenty dollar cable is like totally throwaway, um, I don't even look to to I it w- it would take more time out of my day than it is worth for me to take the cable to Guitar Center and get the replacement. I mean that's kind of where I'm at. Like if I was to take the time out of my day at work to make a you know 30 minute trip over to guitar center at the end of the day which we had to leave work early um it's just not worth it so i decided to build um i bought halfway decent stuff i didn't splurge or anything um right right but i got but it got me thinking and about what really bothers me about electric guitar and and uh microphone cables first off this stuff is wear parts and it's it's horrendously expensive. Um, yep. I mean, this is copper wire stranded. I get it. You know, it's a that is kind of a precious metal in the sense that we use a lot of it. But this takes two to three minutes for a skilled labor to assemble. Um, it doesn't have any strain relief. I'm I'm holding an XLR in my hand. Um, it doesn't have right. any strain relief on it. It doesn't have anything to protect really the the raw rubber. Um, the raw rubber uh, outer layer, right? And even inside this, it's they're not making any effort to really like protect the internal components of the cable. Um, now, part of that's because the way that we've been doing this is sort of traditional in the sense that we're not really exploring new materials and that kind of thing because it has to be modular and it all has to work together. Um, but I, but it wasn't really the cable that bothered me. And what it was, was that I don't have any control over what happens to my cables. We've all been to a gig, right? I'm, I'm hoping. If you haven't been to a gig, this is what it's like, right? Um, you go in, you set up your gear, you try to run your cables as neatly and nicely as possible. The guy next to you is literally just throwing crap on the floor. I mean, he's throw, literally just throwing yeah. his cables right across the monitors and everything else to get back to the to the wherever the board's at. He's not taking a second to think about, man, we should get a snake so we don't have to do this anymore where we're going to be tearing yeah. everything up. Then you get to start playing and and like your cables are all nicely, neatly bundled and they're away from the band. But for some reason, that one drunk guy keeps standing on your cables. And you're <laughs> like, what? Why are you even here? Like That's nobody true. else is dancing, you idiot. Go sit down. Like, or, 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 and I had this happen at a, a recent show, guys bumping into the monitor stands. <laughs> and I'm like, because, because there's literally I a two foot path between the monitor stand and the table in front of it. And I'm like, uh, the, 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 the leg of the monitor stand actually eclipses that two feet and makes it down to about eight inches. So they're stepping over yep. the leg and they're drunk, right? They're stepping over yep. the leg to get oh, to yeah. the bathroom. So I get smart yep. and I'm like, I'm going to put a chair there. I watched two people move the chair so they could climb over the monitor stand to take a leak. Yeah. And yep. that's when I realized that's not going to work. So my wife yep. moved and sat in the chair. <laughs> and I kid you not, a gentleman walked up behind her, tapped her on the shoulder, and asked her to move. Excuse me. My, yep. my mother, yep. who happened to be sitting next to her, says, you can go around. <laughs> and if you know my mother, you know that's exactly how she said it. You can go <laughs> yeah. around. 
And the guy didn't say where he turned. He walked. He went down the clearly marked path that they actually the restaurant maintains for people to walk in and walk back to his yep. table, which actually was easier for him to get to than crawling across the monitor stand. Because sometimes the shortest distance between two objects is not a straight line. Um, anyway, so nevertheless, monitor stand, that's one thing, right? So that's that's a whole other thing. But that's what a gig is like, right? So you got cables everywhere and people are standing on them. What is the worst possible thing you can do to your cables, Jim? Yeah, you, you got it. Yeah. Um, and, and, and stand on them or have a symbol fall on them. That that is the yep. second worst thing, right? And I haven't. I, I'm fortunate that I have not had this happen yet, because I've heard of people getting like a crash symbol knocked over to their cables and sawing them in half, and literally just cut them. Um, I so I'm not. I'm like I'm. I'm fortunate that that has never happened to me, because all you have to do is damage that that braid, that shielding braid on the outside of your quarter inch cable. That's that, there's like there's rubber rubber sheath, and then on the inside there's. Uh, this copper braid that runs all the way around your cable and then the, the conductors in the center. If you damage that copper braid, cable's toast. Um, which is funny because you'd think that they would try to protect both components equally, but they don't. Um, anyway, nevertheless, uh, <laughs> the, the funny anecdote of this all is that you have no control over what happens to your cables. Like once right. you, once you set them up, you can do it's like it's like raising children. You can do the best job in the world trying to prepare them for those, you know, for those um, high school days. But when the kids start getting into high school, they start getting into trouble regardless. It doesn't matter how well you prepared them because they're going to expose themselves to things that you didn't predict. And so it's yeah. essentially the same thing as dealing with your cables, except that. You know, at least with your your teenager, you can ground them. You can take away their license. But as a musician, you really can't stop using cables. So um, even wireless, you have to have cables to make wireless work. And I know people are like thinking like, well, that kind of defeats the purpose. Think about it. You'll realize you have to still have cables to make wireless work. Um, so this this is the real issue, right? And and this is the, the rub I want to leave everyone thinking about a little bit. Every so, if you don't know how to wrap your cables properly, let me explain a couple things. First thing, don't wrap them tightly around your fist. Um, yeah. that's not well, that's not a good idea. <laughs> I will not name names, but there's an individual I know that I play with frequently who does this oh, and then complains oh. about his cables breaking. And I haven't had the heart to like have this conversation, so I if he's listening. You know who you are. I'm sorry. I have to bring it up. And it's just because you're the anecdote, right? It's not because I hate you or anything. Like, actually, I think um, I think you're a great human being and, and all that. But uh, please, wrap your cables nicely. Don't do that. Um, and then don't use your elbow. Don't wrap from your hand to your elbow. Look up online the proper way to wrap a cable using the roadie wrap method. I will provide another anecdote. So I went to uh, a jam and I had cables on the floor and I ran them around everybody so that they wouldn't be like in the in the light of fire. I'm sure they were getting stepped on anyway. Makes no difference. Um, yeah. And what I discovered was when I was all done, they were going to be real nice to me and help me with my gear. This is what I was talking about earlier. 
people who help me with my gear, they kind of drive me nuts because it's like, just let me deal with it because yeah. I kind of know the right way to do it. Um, You're not it, helping. It's not, I don't want to say that because like, Look, I, I do appreciate it. When, when you need to help me move a cabinet, I'm, I'm thrilled no if you're going to help me. Um, yeah. But so, he, so this individual was, was picking up my cable. And um, this has happened with multiple people. So I was like, no, no, I got that. And I wasn't I, – I said just like that. I'm not being a jerk. Like I got that. Don't worry. Right. And so, so he hands, I, 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 I walk over and I grab the cable from him. Not like rip it out of his hands or anything. I just like reach out and he gives it to me. And then I immediately just drop the cable on the floor and I start over and I do the road and I do the road wrap method in front of him. And, and it's funny because I wrap it up like way faster than he was able to, because if you've learned to do this method, I mean, it's once you get the movement down, it's super easy and fast to wrap cables. And, um, it was so funny because like I did it and I wasn't even thinking, I was like, man, that was a really jerk move because he saw me, literally drop the cable to the floor and start over. And he realized, I'm sure he realized like, oh, he didn't like how he's doing it. And yeah. that, well, hopefully he realized that it's because there is a specific way. Yes. And um, I want to apologize to this person if they're listening to the show first off, because like that's a dick move for me to do what I did. But um, at the same token, like I spent a lot of money on my gear and I like to take care of it as best I can. Um, so that things don't break frequently, like my XLR cables, which are just freaking, I mean, violently angry right now. Because, um, uh, I mean, dude, I'm on a I'm on a $40 allowance, and here I am buying yeah. my cables like three times a month. It's ridiculous. Um, I, I know, Jim, you and I both have probably got five or $600 in cables. I mean, it's just craziness. Easily. And... They're not Easily. even expensive cables. They're like low end, mid level oh. cables, you know. Oh, my! I think my most expensive yeah. cable is like a forty dollar cable that you would, you know, get a so, or whatever. So, um, a couple other things about cables, I guess. So I get the, so I get this thing all wrapped up. I keep uh, these Velcro cable ties. These are great. If you don't have them, you've yep. never used them. Try them out sometime. Uh, you can get them on Amazon. They're dirt cheap. But you know, you but you know what the funny thing is. I can't tell yep. you the amount of people who see me with them who are like, what's that? It's a Velcro. Well, no, but like, what's that? Like, what do you need that for? And it's like, oh, yeah. Uh, because, because if you don't wrap them up like that, you're just going to pull. If you put cables in a bag like civilized people um, or in a bin like civilized people, when you pull the cable yeah. out, you're going to grab like part of the cable and it's going to get tangled up with other cables. And then before you're over with, you're going to have 10 minutes of you actually just sorting cables out so that you're not making a giant yeah. mess. Yeah, my wife um, went and bought me uh, like a 60-pack or 90-pack of those things. I mean, it, it's a big yeah. – I'm still taking them out of that thing. But um, she bought them in a ridiculous color. Um, I was just going to say – because nobody knows what these things are. They're perfect identifiers. Right. That's my cable. It's got You'll never rack. have someone steal your cables ever again if you do this. Yep. Now, they also make heat shrink uh, labels you can get for cabling. That's too. the other. That's right. I, she got me some of that, too. and put my name on. A lot of my cables are heat shrink. You wouldn't believe, those of you who have uh, gone to a gig, wouldn't believe the number of sound guys or co 
vendors who have tried to take my freaking cables home. Ooh, nice 20 foot XLR you got there. And then it's done. There, all right. Uh, no, it's got my name. There's, on. So, this is what I don't understand about people stealing each other's cables. Because I know that there has actually been theft. I have been in places where yeah. people have tried to steal, literally steal other, someone else's cable. And, and it's, yeah. it's, uh, when you see them grab the cable that's out of somebody else's amp and somebody else's guitar and they wrap it up and throw it into their bag. And you know that they, that it came out of the other person's bag earlier that night. You go, what's going on here? Why would somebody steal somebody else's cable? There's no marketable value to cable. Is it just because you don't want to buy them? Like, are you that lazy? How can, how? I don't know. How hard? I don't know, man. I, I We're getting I, to the point, though, where the price of cables is getting to, like, where some people will just literally not be able to afford them, which is, which is yeah. pretty crazy to me. Um, I've seen cables now go for like, like budget level cables for 20 bucks for like a 15 footer. Um, yep. and that's, that's, we're getting into insanity territory. Um, but I mean, that's the cost of doing business now. Unfortunately, that's not necessarily the cable company's fault. Like, and that's the one thing you remember. If you ever loaded up a bag of cables, you'll realize very quickly that cables are heavy. Um, they're not light pieces of gear They're They, if, especially in mass, like, I put um I put the four cables I need to run my camper. So it's a power cable, um, guitar cable, and Ethernet cable, and I think yep. it's in an XLR, right? For for a jam mm-hmm. in my bag. And it literally doubled the weight. Oh, it does. That's that's one thing that, that um so if you've had to put I have a bag, right? I have a um uh, Targus um the like a uh, bag. bag. Yep, I have a duffel bag, but it's the same thing. I have one that has nothing but XLR cables. Folks, I will not kid you when I tell you that. It's probably 25 pounds. Just yep. XLR cables in a bag. And then I have another bag that's quarter-inch cables of varying lengths. Each one is of varying lengths. And that is also another 25 to 30 pounds. I, I literally am tearing the uh, fabric away from, from the backpack on my back. Um, but you know, even if you, if you were bringing, uh, like you said, let's say I'm going to bring a 20 foot or, um, 15 foot XLR cable, right. Um, and then like you said, I need a couple of quarter inch, say I've got a 10 or a 20 foot quarter inch cables. Um, that's going to add three or four pounds to your weight. So you talk about XLRs, right? Um, yeah, they are really the heaviest, right? But you know the funny part is I've seen a plenty of people who buy hundred foot XLRs. That's all they buy, and they have like ten hundred foot XLRs. Let me yeah. tell you a tip: if you haven't realized this, and I've and I've enlightened some people, and they were like they're like shocked when they find this out. Um, here's a good reason to buy XLR cables with really good plugs. Yeah, you can connect them together, and you can <laughs> extend the cable. So if you really need so a hundred foot run and you didn't plan on it, you take your four or five, 20 or 25 foot cables, depending on your need, yep. and you stick them together. It's yep. not optimal, That's exactly, but it'll work. Yep. That's exactly what I was going to say. The, the <laughs> longest XLR cable I have is 25 feet. Because I was an idiot and I bought a 50 footer once 
And that thing must weigh 12 yeah. pounds. I mean, it's ridiculous. The you can't even fit it in. Like, if you want to stick it in your gig bag, you can't. Because no. it's like four no. inches tall. That makes it yeah. simple. You, you have to put two Velcro ties together to wrap around it. It's like your forearm. Yeah. Yeah. And my Velcro ties. Yeah. It's like four yeah, inches. Yeah, Jim, thanks for the measurement. Because I'm like, look at your fingers. I'm like, I don't know how long your fingers are. Like, what the hell? <laughs> it's like four yeah. inches. I, it's crazy. Um, yeah, I, I was floored, literally, by the amount of money uh, that a, a 50-foot cable oh, yeah. costs, too. And you know what's funny? Like, the actual cable shouldn't increase the price of a cable that much at all. Because, so this is... um. No, the expensive part is yeah. This is the connectors, and even the connectors aren't expensive, Jim. That's a right. myth. But I'm just saying. Um, yeah. I'm just saying for most most cable builds, the ca- the cable connector is yeah, more so expensive. Part. You can get um the the cables I bought the the connectors I bought today. I think were three bucks each. They're three fifty a piece. They yep. were the cheaper um uh no trick jacks. But but you can yep. go on Amazon, and I could have bought them on Amazon. I decided I would rather give Sweetwater my business. Um, you can go on Amazon yep. and you can get Neutric Jacks from them for like half that. Now, yeah. are they genuine Neutric? Who knows? But chances are you're going to get a Neutric branded jack or Neutric branded plug. So who cares? Right. Um, right. As long as it functions properly and it's not it doesn't sound like crap, um, which I right. mean, it's an XLR cable. Um, that's a whole other conversation, but um it's probably going to be fine and you can make cables cheap uh that's what i was going to say so that so the connectors if they're six bucks right so and it takes somebody 15 minutes to put them together you know it let's say we're paying 20 bucks an hour and then you have this cable the cable's got if it, if the cable's 20 bucks then the cable's got to be what like a dollar a foot no, it's not. It's got to be like fifty yep. cents a foot. I mean, you can get you can get XLR cable for like, I think I think I saw it as low as like seventeen cents a foot. <clears throat> so, put that into perspective. Your ten foot XLR, which costs twenty bucks, is fifty percent profit, close to it. Um, yep, because you know they're not paying. They're not paying what I paid for for plugs, and they're not paying what Amazon's charging for plugs. They're paying what the manufacturer charges for plugs, which is probably a quarter of that, because they're going direct and they're buying in bulk. So, perspective is, we are getting ripped off because they know we need cables, and then you buy the twenty five dollar cable because it's the cheapest, and it happens to be the one. And this is the thing that I really wanted to talk about in this whole segment. When you go into Sam Ash or you go into Guitar Center or any other big box place and you buy cables, you make sure you buy a package where the cables are wrapped and not zip tied if you can, because you will yeah. pull them out and they will be kinked the moment you buy them. They'll already, they'll already have a, um, yeah, I kink right there. Where I don't understand is. why they zip tie them like that. I do not understand how they think it is okay to sell a $25 cable that is like that. 
for if, if from now on, I vowed if I ever buy cables again, which it's, it's a very strong possibility I may not, because I'm probably just going to start making my own. Um, I will take it back and I will tell them I am not buying this cable because or I bought this cable. I want a complete refund because you guys are selling damaged merchandise. It's damaged. It's like if somebody threw a cable on the floor, stomped on it, and then cut it, and then put it back on the rack, and then sold it to me. Because at some point, it's going to yeah. fail because guess what? There's a kink in it. And that kink, yep. it could be anywhere in the cable. What you have to understand is the cable is a long, continuous run of electric wire, and it's going to pull on those plugs, yep. and something's going to break. It's going to break on one end or the other or in the middle. And if it breaks in the middle, the cable's completely toast. If it breaks on one end or the other, you might be able to repair it. Exactly. So, I don't know. I just, I'm I'm extremely infuriated by this segment of the industry right now because we have some local cable companies around here. Spectreflex is one. Um, Conquest is one. I buy Conquest speaker cable. Um, I don't have a Conquest cable signal from me. I'd love to show you, Jim. But it's just like um, it's really beefy. It's like it's the thickness of uh, like your thumb, right? Yeah. And it's not that the thickness matters for that kind of thing, um, because speaker cable. Obviously, there's been a lot of people over the years that have tested different gauges of speaker cable. And they'll tell you that really it's not that big a deal in this in this condition and in this length for like you know running a guitar head to a cabinet. Um, yep. The speaker cable that I buy is like really robust. And that's part of the reason why right. I buy it. Um, and it's apparently they, they mark like the the head and cabinet part of the speaker cable, which is kind of interesting. Um, and I think that's because the, the cable actually comes with a linearity uh, noted on it. So they've chosen to like yeah. follow those instructions. Um, yeah. Even though it doesn't yeah. Matter. I mean, I don't think in a short application like that, you're actually going to be able to notice anything. Um, but I do know right. that. They do. They use the the um, the braiding to kind of determine which way the cable goes. So wherever the yep. you know apparently there's some sort of linear flow. Um, if you ever see the braiding, it's like a V. So maybe when they start wrapping it, they go forward, and that's now the the uh, send of the cable for for what it's worth. Right. Um, so I don't know. I like going to the local companies. I <coughs> excuse me. I have several yeah. Spectreflex cables um, that I use day in day out of my studio. Um, they're not uh, they're not my go to cables for live or anything like that. But um, right. I got I think I got twenty five footers. They have these unique jacks. They have unique strain relief. Um, they're braided, so they're tough as nails. Um, yep. And I don't think I've had one die since I started using them. And that was five, seven oh. years ago. So, I mean, yeah. they're not horribly expensive. I think a 25 footer is like 30 bucks. Um, and I've mm -hmm. been using uh, planet waves, the, uh, American, whatever the American thing is, the American performer or whatever. And those are really, really good too. Um, but yeah. I've heard people have had problems using those in like vintage guitars and things like that because the connector is a little weird. Um, I personally have never experienced either of this. Um, so, you know, I guess. The only one I've had problems with is Monster. Yeah, well, but Monster. So Monster, I was starting to talk about local mom and pops. Like Monster is like its own animal. And it, that was a, a guitar center bought into Monster just as bad as Best Buy did. And a, a lot, lot of people, people did. And I, 
Best Buy, yeah, Walmart. Walmart dropped them first, I think. Then Best Buy, Guitar Center. I'm sure I've told this story on the show before, but I'm going to do it again. So, Monster, I this is my anecdote about Monster Cable when it was a thing. Because I think it's still out there, but it's definitely not as popular as it once was. Um, uh, Local shop, they came in, the rep coerced them into taking on Monster. And so... I, I guess the deal was you bought the rack, right? And right. then it just sat and it sat and it sat and they sold some of it. And then they had some guy come in and sold, buy a bunch of it. And like they had to pay for all of that up front. And it was not cheap yep. for them to just to, to resell, which is why the profit margin was so high. Or the, the not the profit margin, but the but I mean, that's why the pricing was high, right? The the monster cable was crap. It wasn't it wasn't even high quality stuff. It was just um, it was what it was. And what's what's worse is Monster um, made this claim that that yeah we'll we'll protect the um, the cables for the lifetime of the cable, and the they let the companies they left them out to dry. So a person would come back with a twenty five to fifty dollar cable. And it was the mom and pop's responsibility to just give them a new one. And the mom and, and there was had to give no reimbursement, right? So Monster never sent him a new cable. They would have had to buy another rack of cable from them in order to use it. I was told um, there was a band, and I can't remember who they were, um, but it's but it's in a book somewhere where they talked about the Monster rep come to this, came to the studio. He'd been courting him for a long time. He wanted to sign him up as artists, and they were pushing back and being like, "We don't use your cables." So the guy convinced them. He said, just use your cables to make this record. Use our cables to make this record. And then when it's over with, like, we can talk about a deal if you want to do it. And if you don't, you don't have to. So they used the cables. Right. And um, mostly because the guy was just being really pushy. And then at the end of the record, they right. got an invoice. And yeah. they were like, well, wait a minute. Like, I don't understand because you told us to use them and then we'd give them back and we could, you know, talk about if there's a deal. He's like, well, you used them on the record, didn't you? And they were like, well, yeah, but you you kind of forced us to like you were pushing them on us. And the guy's like, the guy's like, yeah, it's like the copier thing where you call up, you know, the, the company and or the comp- somebody calls up the company and then they say, what kind of uh, ink is in your or, you know, in that that printer over there? And somebody goes and looks, and then all of a sudden these toner cartridges start showing up with an invoice for you know five hundred dollars for a toner cartridge. Yep. The the um, I think the horror story. I can't remember who it was, but the horror story we were talking about. Um, the legal precedents that they were using, they being the uh, monster, was that if you got um, some good out of the thing that you got then they were entitled to um money or um, reimbursement uh because you were able to get good from it like okay uh there's an old saying that if you get um if you get something shipped to your home that you didn't order you don't right keep it that is fallacy there is no legal precedent the legal the legal precedent is actually you uh, you are it's it's called the reasonable person right so the le- reasonable person has to expect that 
I did not order that. It is not mine. I need to return it. And then if they tell you, hey, it's too expensive for us to, we've already shipped it, too expensive for us to return, they tell you to keep it, then you keep it. But they've told you to do that. If they send you a um, sticker, you have to put a sticker on there and send it back. So it, it's, um, it goes along with that um, expectation that you got, uh, I can't remember what it be, what the legal term is, but it means that you got something good right. for it. You were able to get something out of the out of the gear, and that that's a kind of a crappy way of that guy doing business. They they probably were silly enough not to get anything in writing because there is there are times like um, when the Beatles um, used Vox amps. So the you know I told that story. The Beatles um, management went to Vox and Vox told them to stuff it. They didn't know who the Beatles were and they were going to tell them to stuff it. But a local rep. Gave the uh, box said no, not giving you equipment. So a local store gave the equipment to the Beatles, and thus how the Beatles became box users. Uh, they still got them for free in the beginning, but they obviously they did more for Vox than Vox ever. So Vox never was able to go after them because in reality, Vox um, uh, saw a real uh, uh, advantage for having. Well, here's the strangest about the monster cable thing. Like, yeah, we can we can talk about the legal ramifications of what happened in these situations, but the reason why I was providing these stories is because Monster was a mess. That company was poorly run, and that's why you don't see them much anymore. And I still hear about people from time to time who've got Monster cables, and they're like, they're like, yeah, it sucks because it needs a repair. And you know what? I I feel you. Because Monster is kind of notorious for not being good cable, and you got suckered right. into it, and that sucks. But yeah, yeah, their connections were poor. A lot of cold yeah, solder they were, joints. They're just junk. The, the cables themselves yep. were junk. The only thing that Monster had, and it was they were smart enough to realize nobody looks inside the cable except for the people that actually know better and wouldn't buy our stuff anyway. All we have to do is make the cable look pretty. Put gold connectors on it, yep. and then everybody will think it's great. Uh, yep, I had somebody at the store the other day going, "Wow, these!" They were looking at Mugabe's, <clears throat> and they said uh, same thing. Oh man, the, the connectors are gold, so that's got to be better, right? I said, "Dude, that is the biggest pile of snake oil you are ever going to buy." Yeah. Now, if it was real gold, one hundred percent all the way through. Number one, it would cost a load more money than what you're looking at. And number two, and probably more importantly, it would be so soft, it would be useless. The gold plating thing has always like thrown me because I I do understand like the idea behind the metal conductivity and all that. But realistically, I mean, with the amount of voltages we're talking about, do you really think there's any increase in fidelity by using gold? I mean, not a, not in a quarter inch guitar cable and a guitar rig. That's ridiculous. Um, the, the the amount of fidelity you're gonna you're gonna get back, you're gonna lose because you're running a twenty foot cable. <laughs> um, that's why I'm like, I don't understand. Um, maybe I'm an idiot. You know, sound off in the group. Let me know if I'm an idiot. That's fine. I've been called an idiot many <laughs> times. Would be anything new. There's, there's- uh, I don't know, man. The internet is I'm sure. I'm sure it's a Twitter with with what I said. So, okay. um, 
I started to use train wreck profiles, right? And this is partially yep. spawned from the uh, ethos train wreck conversation from last week. And um, I want a train wreck. Uh, it's crazy. Uh, I, I've never seen a real one. Um, I've seen real really? doubles, but I've never seen a real train wreck. Um, and the doubles I've seen have been like Chicago Music Exchange. They were there for like a day kind of thing. Um, I've never played one. Well, maybe I did. I don't remember. Uh, there's a very good chance that I didn't. There's a very good chance that I did because uh, I've been in the room with one at least once. I think twice. Now that I think about it. Um, I've been in the room with 59 Les Pauls too. Uh, so yeah, and, and yeah. I think a lot of people have been in the room with 59 Les Pauls and they may not have even known it. Um, but anyway, uh, so the, uh, the reason why, um, the train wreck thing is appealing to me. So I'm, I'm, there is a romanticism part of this, right? So the idea that Ken, this guy, no, Ken Fisher, if you don't know anything about train wrecks here, I'm going to give you a lowdown. There's a guy named Ken Fisher who started building amps in the, well, he started repairing amps in the eighties, actually probably prior to that. And uh, he was really good at it. Um, and he understood how to repair like the really esoteric vintage stuff that some people were kind of shying away from during that time period. Because you have to understand yeah. the 80s, um, the guys that were repairing tube amps were the same guys that were repairing tube amps in the 60s and 50s. It was really, uh, I, even at that time, it was starting to become an, an out-of-date technology that people didn't understand. Um, now, we still have our wizards today. We have people like Reinhold Bogner out there who who understand tube technology probably just as well as the engineers who were designing for it in the, in the 30s and 40s. Um, but anyway, I digress. This guy, Ken Fisher, is a renowned amp repair guy, and he starts building amps. Somebody wanted him to yep. modify a Marshall to get the brown sound. So he takes this Marshall, and he he does a number on it. And I'm assuming it's a point-to-point -point job because all the train wrecks are point-to-point. -point. Um, and he uses every ounce of skill he has as an electrical engineer to design a, this Marshall mod. And it is killer. And as a side project, my understanding is he builds his own and makes a note of all the, you know, the, the appropriate stuff and draws a schematic and then starts tinkering. And somebody else hears yep. the Tinkered Amp. And they're like, I want one. And he's like, I can build you the amp. You know, this is how his business grows, right? So it starts off with the Express, which is the Marshall clone, which is not a Marshall clone. Um, the Express actually becomes, and I've heard it described this way, but the, this is probably a generalization because I downloaded the schematics and there's like nine different variations of the Express in the schematic sheet. Um, and there, right. I, some of them are night day different. But anyway... Um, basically the idea is that it's like a super reverb front end into a JTM 45 back end with some of them have, yep. um, some of them have like a, a cut knob from an AC 30 and some of them don't. And some of them have, uh, you know, different, uh, tone stacks. Like they've been modified to do different things slightly, slightly differently. Right. These are non-master volume amps. So they're loud. They're 30. 50 if i think uh i think he made some 50 watt ones uh he was hand he was hand winding his own transformers at one point he then found the company to make the transformers for him um hey boyer 
I think ends, ends up being the transformer supplier at some point. Um, I know Mercury has also got their transformers that are very similar to his spec as well. And so essentially what he ends up with this is a, like Uber boutique thing that's only known to a yep. small group of people. I mean, people, and we're talking people like George Lynch, right? Um, who are buying these guys. Um, and I, I've heard, I don't think anybody knows how many actually exist. Maybe the family does. Because right, yeah, the tragedy is, Ken, yeah, Ken Fisher young. gets sick in the 90s, just as his business is yep. taking off. He continues to take orders. Yep. He builds when he can, when he's not too ill. Um, yep. During this period, because he can't build, he's got some celebrity clientele. So he decides to work with a couple of different amplifier companies to produce some amplifiers. He he collaborates with Dr. Yep. Z, makes the Z-Rack. He sells yep. designs to, the, to Comet Amplification, who start to produce designs. I think part of the reason we went to Comet was distribution too, but there, there, there's like some varying stuff there. But anyway, he's good friends with all these people, right? Um, he's part of a part of the burgeoning internet culture at that time, like talking to people about you know tube amps and tube technology, and uh, yep. he gets diagnosed with this illness in the late '90s, and so he builds what he can and he has these partnerships. He dies in 2006, I believe. Yeah, yeah, it was 2006. So nobody actually knows how many amps he built. I don't think. Because some That's of them right. are unbranded, some of them are, uh, some of them are just plain plain boxes, and uh, yep, yep. they're all like themed. He named them after women instead of serial numbers, which is a whole other yep. thing that a whole other you know throwback ball of wax that would probably get him in big trouble today. Um, but yep. these amps are highly sought after. The crazy thing is. You know, Dumbles are like this, too. They have this kind of mystique about them. Uh, the guys in Enigma, um, top players are playing them, etc. Um, Dumbles are, you know, they go for anywhere from like $10,000 on to $50,000 and hundreds of thousands of dollars in some cases. A train wreck yep. only sets you back like 5Gs. You can buy a train Yeah, the most expensive train wreck is like $30,000. Yeah, I mean, that was like a one-off thing that that nobody right. really thought. I mean, nobody even thought he was going to go for that, you know. Um, so you can attain a train wreck. Now, here's here's the fun part. So yeah. I'm I'm looking at this. And I'm going, I'm never going to have $5,000 to buy an amplifier. I will, however, have like $1,000 to buy a clone. So I start digging around and yeah. I find some people that can build them. Um, I find a forum of people that are like completely devoted to building train wreck amps, which is pretty crazy. Um, and that's where I started down this path of like, maybe I'll just build my own because it's a simple circuit. There's not a lot of components. It's, I mean, uh, probably the same amount of components are in like a 5E3 Deluxe. But that's where my, my trail ends because as I'm reading through there, I find an article where a guy's talking about building his first amp and he wants to build a train wreck. And a couple of people are like, uh, it's probably not the best amp for you to build. Like if it's your first time. And they're basically like, it's not that it's the component count or anything like that. It's the, the it's not even the layout. Cause you could buy turret boards that are very similar to Ken's layout, but they're like, if you get the cable as much as a quarter inch too long in this one part, you'll have wild oscillation. And that the way that the components are laid out, is it very specific? And if you mess something up or you do it wrong, you're going to have a mess on your hands. Down to the point where they're talking about the um, the 
the the like lead content of the solder and the gold plate yeah. because all of these things play into the uh capacitance stuff that's at play in that circuit and it is like a oh. detail game and the last thing i want to get myself into is a detail game so right that being said there's some options right uh fuchs makes a, a rec clone uh I know Two Rock made the Ruby, which is a rec clone. It's an express clone. Because um, I, I only want the express. He did some other amps too. He did the Liverpool and he did the Rocket, which are vaguely like EL84 things. Um, so right. I'm mildly interested in seeing if I can attain a, a rec clone at some point. Um, granted, I had a I had a snap me out of it conversation with uh, Dan Kish this week. And I mentioned to him that I've been playing around with these trade rec profiles and he's very honest with me. And he says, he says, why are you even messing around with the idea of buying another amp? He's like, right. you've got a Kemper. Like it's, you know, that should be a done deal at this point. And I admitted to him, I said, I've got, I got trade rec profiles. That I really like in the Kemper. And yeah, part of the reason is I, I, and I'm not, saying this is a justification this is kind of like a rebuttal to what he said that i did i didn't tell him um the kemper itself is great at what it models in the sense that it models the amp with the controls in a specific position on an amp like a train wreck that's going to vary from yep. guitar to guitar that's going to vary from yep. cab to cab that's going to vary from room to room and what I'm wanting is for it to um, be in the right ballpark for what I play. So I I think I almost do want to have one built for me. And I want to find somebody who knows the circuit well enough to kind of modify it to fit what I play. And go right. that route. The only problem with having one built for you is you have to get it worked on at some point. Does that mean you send it back to the That's right person? That built it for you or does that mean that you know you get a schematic from them and hopefully somebody else can follow everything to the t including the length of the wire and the you know magnesium properties that are you know, whatever properties voodoo that's going on inside the amp it just sounds like a can of worms now right the fuchs is an option fuchs makes one and apparently there's a circuit boarded which everybody's like, you don't want a circuit boarded train wreck because that takes all the magic out of it. No, actually, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> uh, because for somebody like me who needs consistency and reliability, that sounds perfect because then I can have it fixed if something breaks because it's easy to repair a circuit board. I know people are like, oh, yeah, turret board's the way to go. And it is, provided you're not dealing with an esoteric circuit like this. Um, I think there's, right. it's, consistency and repeatability is probably better on a, on a PCB at that point. Um, so yep. I don't know. It may happen. It may not happen. I think the same things that I love about the Triple Crown are they're also the reason that I love the train wreck. Right, right, right. That makes so sense. right now my performance in my Kemper, so you can set up you know different performances. And so and they have like five amps, five amp slots. I have a Triple Crown for clean. I, in the second slot, I have uh, the train wreck. And in the third slot, I have a Dumble. 
and I'm not using any of the two other slots. And I can do my solo material with that. Which is, you know, if you heard my self-titled thing, you'd know that's a lot of ground to cover. Um, but it works. And I have no complaints, and I feel comfortable with what I'm doing. Um, yeah. So it is what it is. Jim, what do you got going on? Because we didn't even talk about like what's new with you. I know you've been buying stuff right and left. You got a guitar back there behind yeah. you that we didn't even talk about in this episode. It, so, it, it sounds like I'm buying 20 stuff minute, left 20 right, minutes, but I'm really not. Go. All right. I, I don't even want to take 20 minutes because I'm going to do a whole rundown. So this week will be a new, there will be a video to put together. Um, I'm working out. Uh, I, this is going to be scripted so it doesn't, you know, become ridiculous. I've got uh, the new Thunder Ultra in uh, Mocha Burst. Uh, I was going to get a Cobra Blue until uh, I saw the Mocha Burst in person. Uh, and it just uh, simply takes your breath away in person. So I'll talk a little bit about some of the things that I've got there. Um, obviously, all the specs that everybody knows, I don't have to talk about them. But I will say this about the deck. That's the only thing I'm going to talk about right now because I want everything else to be revealed in the um, – because I do have one really weird negative to say about it. Um, for the most part, everything is positive. But the, the neck – is so good. I mean, so I took a professional and I took the, I took a performer professional and the uh, ultra and I did the neck thing, you know, going up and down the neck. What they did with the ultra was they rounded the edges. It's such a simple little thing. And it's the only one you would think they would do this with a professional. They rounded the edges just so much that when you're playing it, it goes from 10 to 14. Um, it, it literally just doesn't bite you at all. I mean, it's just probably one of the nicest decks um, as far as that, a Stratocaster, okay, that I play. Um, because with a Strat, I've always felt that it was a little bit odd feeling going up and down the neck, just, just by take on it. Um, where I think they did it right this time. Let's, they got it right let's talk time. about rolled edges for a minute. So, yep. I'm sure Fender was not the first company to do rolled edges years years and years ago, right? So, oh. in the in the '90s, they did the American Standard Strats with the rolled edges, right? Um, I, I I'm only bringing up that part of the history because I yeah, my standard guitar I was aware of where they were rolling the edges on the fretboard. You know, the funny part was I've owned one of those, um, one of those American Standards, yeah. and uh, I didn't think that it was really that different from the other guitars, which I had Mexican strats at the time um, that, that I'd owned. Yep. And uh, what ends up happening in the, in, in this thought process is that of course I go and I buy some other guitars. Um, I had an Ibanez destroyer. I've had, you know, a bunch of different stuff and none of them I ever felt like the rolled edges were that big a deal to me. Now, fast forward, I get a Charvel model a, um, which was like a weird uh -huh. guitar during a transition period for Charvel um, when they were changing hands. And um, I'm not sure whether my guitar was made in the USA or Japan. I've heard both. Um, 
So anyway, that guitar had rolled edges. Uh, that guitar needed rolled edges. And that was the first guitar where I was keenly aware, like, yeah, if they didn't do this, this was going to be a disaster because the neck was so flat and so wide that if you didn't have it, you were going to be uncomfortable. Ibanez's right. makes a well, Ibanez makes a big deal out of this on the Prestige Series guitars. They spend hours yeah. upon hours on every Prestige neck that comes out of the Ibanez factory, um, just making yep. sure that the neck is just it fits just right. Um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something that's gonna probably freak a lot of people out. And I'm I'm gonna get there, but but I want you to I want you to bear in mind the, the rest of this argument before we get there, so that so that I'm not crucified as much. Um, I will be crucified, I'm sure. Um, it's just gonna happen. It's gonna happen. Um, awesome. So I've had now I have the Kiesel right now. My current guitars are Kiesel and S500. The S500, the the neck shape issue for me that is the biggest deal is how fat the neck is into my pulp. Right. So that, so that back shape, um, I, I love these. Right. I can play C's. I cannot play U's and D's. Um, my Kiesel, right. because it's a seven string, it's fairly flat, but it would be a C, I think in a six. So it's like a wide C. Um, right. and, but it's a thinner neck, um, because it's a seven, it needs to be thinner because I, I don't think it would be playable if it was a baseball bat. Um, and, it has rolled edges, uh, mildly rolled edges, right? It's not like nothing I would write home about. Uh, right, never right. once have I played a guitar where I look at the rolled edges and they go, oh, this guitar's terrible, or vice versa. I almost don't even think about it. The only reason I think about it is because it's yep. in the spec sheet. Well, I, I only wonder if that, like I said, I just know how it feels. And I don't know if that's what it is, if it's the, the compound radius or if it's the um, uh, the way that the um, the cut is for the the neck, you know, the back. And, and it might be just a I combination think it's of those. Probably things. the shape. That's why I'm kind of getting. At. I think it's probably the shape more than the more than the actual rounding. All the rounding does is not make you feel like your hands getting snagged on it, going up and down, going. Right. Going north south, right. you know, from 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 uh, nut to bridge, that's a different thing. Yeah. That's the that's the, the the back shape, at least in my estimation. Now, yeah. here's what here's the thing that's going to get me crucified though. I can talk till I'm blue in the face about the next shapes I like, but it doesn't fucking yeah. matter. It it actually doesn't matter to no. me. I can I can pick up a neck, and if I sit down with it long enough, it just disappears. Even a D and a U, I've played D's and U's. Um, and they're fine. I just have to acclimate to them. And I think, uh, Joe Bonamassa says the same thing, which is basically like, I used to be really big into the baseball bats. And now he's like, I just like the ones that I like, and I just pick them up and I play them. Exactly. And I don't worry about it anymore. And some, and John Bollinger asked him in that, that interview, uh, Bollinger asked him, well, uh, he said, does it take any time to acclimate yourself or just, he's like, no, why? He's like, you play enough of them, you don't care anymore. Um, and I think that's kind of where right. I'm at now. It's like, as long as it's, I have to have a good vibe about the guitar. If I pick it up and I'm like, yeah, I, I can get down with this, then I'm fine. And and here's my here's my 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 example, so that I'm 
again, providing factual evidence about my situation. Um, Gem Juniors. I can pick up an Ibanez Gem Junior. And that deck is a Wizard Wizard 3, I think is what they're doing now. Wizard 3. Wizard 3s yeah. are supposed to be thin as hell. I cannot yep. stand Wizard 3s on other guitars, but I can play it on a Gem Junior. Why? It's the same neck. It, literally, the only difference is it says Jeb Jr. on it. That's it. That's literally it. So why? Why? It's, yep. it, it's, it's mental. And I know it is. And I don't know why, but I can't change it. I, I, I literally, so like S-Series, Wizard 3 S-Series, can't play them. Uh, they, it's not, it, they, they feel thin to me when I pick them up. And I know it's all in my head. I, I absolutely know it is because I spent a good hour jamming on an Ibanez Gem Jr. in Guitar Center a month ago. Like, I don't understand why I have that mental block, but there are certain guitars that are like that for me where I just, I can't vibe with it. I don't know whether it's like the angle of the body or something makes it feel thinner because I have to sit and then my my hand is in a certain position or whatever. Um, another classic example is that Ibanez uh, AZ I bought. So, I tried AZs in the store, comfortable as hell. I buy one. It's the same neck, but I find the guitar to be less – I find the neck to be less comfortable. Not the guitar, the neck to be less comfortable in the one that I bought. So if anybody has an explanation to this, I I would love to know. It's not necessarily – and that's what – I guess what I'm trying to say is I can play all of these guitars. I can play them well. The problem is do I want to play them? And there are definitely guitars I would gravitate to more, but this is weird because it's not for an aesthetic reason or anything like that. It's because I don't know. I mean, there's some mystical voodoo about the fact that the Gem Junior is different than an Ibanez S series, even though I know the necks are identical. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. So I said my I said my piece. Yeah. And I probably am gonna everybody's thinking David just needs to be thrown into an asylum at this point. Last week, he's talking <laughs> about treble and harshness. And this week, he's talking about guitars with identical necks, and he can't stand the neck on one, but he likes the neck on the other. I I, I know what I know. That's all I can say. I think that really, again, it comes down to... it. I don't think the neck of a guitar is any different from your favorite burrito or your favorite um, pair of shoes. You just know what you like. The specs don't really matter. I think so. I think so. What I think it's really a vibe. Matters? I think you just like feel a resonance from it, like in your right. head. And I will posit this, going along with what you just said. It's, I think that it's, it's, it's a familiarity. But I think it's more than that because even guitars that it's like Mike Mara, group member, right? He's had a guitar with a warped neck. He's getting a replacement yep. neck. Um, he's concerned about the shape of it being the same, even though it's a warm off, and they're pretty consistent. Um, and I honestly feel like in my case, I would be terrified. I don't care whether it's a warm off neck or what it it could be a laser cut within one micron same size neck as another neck. And I honestly would be terrified. And and the only reason is because will I vibe with it? Because I, I can, just like I just said, an Ibanez neck, 
Ibanez Wizard 3 with another Ibanez Wizard 3, and they're supposed to be identical, and I like them on one guitar, and I hate them on another. I just don't understand yep. it. That's I Same thing. Um, you know, again, I, I can't... I want to use the spec sheet to explain something, but I can't explain what feels right about it. I, I also know this, and, I, and yeah, we're yeah. coming up to two hours, so... Um, I, I also know this. This is the first jazz master I've like that, that that I actually picked one up and thought I actually need really like this guitar. And, and no. I don't think offsets are bad guitars. I I have never been a universal offset lover. Um, I think an offset no 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 right hardware is important because I think the hardware determines a lot right. of whether you like it like a offset guitar right um, i'm not surprised to hear that hear that though are the so is the the uh, ultra is it uh super big frets um it, it, okay i'll tell you what they feel like because i haven't yeah. looked at the spec i can tell you is they feel a little bit they look like gibson size like taller taller you know yeah yeah, because the yep. reason I say that is because I played a PRS tonight, and I looked at the frets, and I'm like, I'm touching the fretboard, and this is a new guitar, and I'm going, God, why can't they put a decent size fret wire on there? I, I mean, I know people like to feel the damn fretboard. I, I know there's a whole vintage guitar crew of people that are like, I want my frets worn out. Um, I am not that person. And you will not sell a guitar to me by putting tiny, tiny frets on it. It's not going to happen. Um, that is not a preference thing. That is that is a technique thing. Um, and it screws with me really bad. I can play guitars with small frets, just like I said before. Uh, but it's I'm not going to play the way I normally play. Let's put it that way. Yeah, exactly. I'm looking up to see what kind of frets it's got. on the. So they're saying it's medium jumbo. They feel bigger. Medium, I, I medium jumbo is still bigger than what I saw in the PRS I played tonight, which was like small oh, the, vintage yeah. or something. Which PRS? Did you uh, it was a it was an SE custom. Hey, uh, so I think it was a custom twenty four. Okay, uh, which I don't recall them having tiny fret wire, but apparently they they do now. So, um, yeah, that get, one and and. All of the PRS guitars, because I'm used to 25 inch scale, 25 and a half inch scale, and they're 25 inch, the, the strings feel like rubber bands. The stock strings and the nines, they feel like rubber bands. Uh, I'm just, I'm not going to do it anymore. Yeah, oh, I don't like it. So, yeah, so they're medium jumbo. So that's not a super big fret, but it is bigger than what I was used to on other strat or other strats. So let's recap. Cabinets are cool and important and think about them. Yep. Um, yep. Don't let other people wrap your cables. Uh, <laughs> um, don't get ripped off buying cables. Uh, don't believe cables are snake yep. oil. Uh, I don't think we talked about that, but that's – you know that already. Um, and then, yes, and then they uh, are Jim bought a Strat Ultra, and uh, he bought it in the uh, – Yep. The mocha crappe finish. Uh, yep, the mocha. Yeah. Mocha crappe. 
All right, all right. So, Jim, I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you. We're going to go out here in a minute, but we got three minutes. I'm going to give you my hot take on your guitar, and this is not. I'm trying to insult you. I don't like the finish. Um, I'm not yep. trying to be a jerk on that. I I probably would have gone rosewood. That's all right. Um, and it's just because my preferences are shifting. Uh huh. And then, uh, yep. Other than that, I think it's fine. I would have gotten the blue. <sighs> and that that was the other one. So it was between the Cobra. This looks like a burst has got something wrong uh, with blue. it. But I guess your MO is kind of getting a burst with something wrong with it, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, did, okay, so I'm going to – and what's funny is a friend of mine came in tonight and bought yeah. the blue, the Cobra blue. Um, but uh, – okay, so you've seen yep. one up front, right, up close. You've got one up close. All right, for me – it literally looks like somebody splashed coffee. It's that, missing that's where the, the red. Have come from, right? And it's missing the red, and that's what I love about it. I know it looks. Wrong. It's not that it, it looks, looks wrong. wrong. I just look if you're gonna if you're gonna throw coffee on a guitar, don't black the edges. It doesn't have to be bursted like that. Yeah. I know the sunburst strat is like a thing, and that's you know the color yeah. for a lot of the vintage ones because that's how most of them were sold. Um, but I just kind of feel like it's played out. And, but, but if you are going to do it, do it right. Yeah. Yeah. It could have been lighter on the edges, but, um, I, it's something quirky that I, I, I kind of like about, you know, it. I'm a fan and of I'm literally looking, so that's right. And I am literally looking at a 22 karat <laughs> gold. <picked laughs> Jim, Jim, stop it. It is. Can I, can, I share with her, can I share with our audience? I have to share with our audience. Jim sends me a message today, and I literally cracked up when I got it. And it said, hey, I've been working at Guitar Center for two months now, and, and I haven't incurred any new debt. And I laughed because yeah. I'm like, you're working That's a second job, Jim. Of course you haven't incurred any new debt. Yeah. But you've got – you spent <laughs> every cent that you brought in from your second job buying guitars. Oh, no. Yeah. No, I've spent. He's probably <laughs> yeah. See, see, now you get it. Now you get it. Yeah, but he's not creating a new debt, but he's not paying any paying off any old no, debt either. But I'm not paying anything off. I, I, I have to laugh. Um, so you got to think about okay. Since I've worked there, okay, which was only uh, I started late October. So let's just say November, December, and yeah, some of October, November, December. So I've been there almost yep. three full months, right? I have purchased a Gibson Hummingbird, a Gibson Les Paul, and a Fender Ultracast. Isn't there? There are other things you've purchased in that period too, and taken back though. Oh yeah, the Blues Junior. What did you get the SG? Because it was hitting. No, the SG was right before. Right before. Months ago. Like like um, I think about right before summer. I think I bought that right. Uh, okay, it could be. It could be. Uh, I see some um, more recent than that, but um, yeah, I think I bought that. It was either just before the Fourth so, of July. Or so just for those of you that are so inclined, summer. Jim bought a. I can't say what the, the actual prices he paid are because I'm not allowed. I, I'm not allowed. Yeah, to I know. can't. I can't. Um, but he's bought right a, a 17.99 Strat, a. 1899 Strat, a $24.99 Les Paul, uh, uh, and a $2,100 yeah, $2, Gibson Hummingbird. 
199 or 2299 yeah. Gibson Humming. Yeah. I can't remember. Uh, I, I mean, I spent $600 one time on pedals on my birthday. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I bought. And I'm. I'm already eyeing the Jazzmaster. Oh my gosh! I, I don't if you buy um, that Jazzmaster, I'm going to come through this computer and I'm going to slap you upside the head, and I'm going to be like, "Stop it!" I'm trying he's to trying find, to find the, something. So he's trying to find happiness by find, spending money, and he doesn't figure it out. That's not how that works. Yeah, there is no happiness in it. I can tell you that right now. There's no happiness. Um, the I'm hoping we don't run out of in stock. I want to get a um, a new. Because believe it or not, it's cheaper to, for me to buy a new one than a used one of this. Uh, a new uh, Fender Elite uh, Telecaster thin line. Yeah, because Jim Jim's terrified that he won't get a thin line. Because if you haven't if you haven't noticed, the there's blue. no USA thin line anymore. There's no USA uh, thin line this year. That that well, is weird. I, I told you last week. I I think that that's just because they're not popular right now, um, or that they're so popular. But yeah. they're popular with people that don't have a lot of money. And so that's why they keep bumping him into Squire territory and, and lower level Fender. Um, I, yeah, there was a time period when I was starting guitar where they were offering it only in a Mexican, I think. I think it was like one year yeah. where they did not have a, like a thin line deluxe or anything like that. Which that's a whole other conversation, the thin line deluxe and that whole thing. But uh, yeah, m best of luck to you, Jim. Uh, I hope you get a chance to spend more money that you know. It's just gonna 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 catch up. They should later. be allowed to sell them. Um, <laughs> I don't want that to happen to you. That's why I'm I'm trying to talk some sense into no. you. Like just slow down. Me either. You know, and and. <laughs> I found myself in this boat. I actually have enough gear money. I could have bought a cab tonight. I could have bought the overdrive pedal. Um, but I talked to myself and I said, you know what? You got to be smart about what you do because there are things you need more than things you want. And um, yep. even even musically related, I have, there are things oh. I need more than things I want. So, Yeah. The, so going to that, the one thing that uh, – you know, I made I've made sure of um, is let's face it. I'm treating the guitar center as money. spending money, like yeah, gig money, gig money, yeah. And so it's fine because I'm I'm actually doing better than I was because I don't right. And it's a consistent, it my it's real a consistent gig, my and and so that that works. I'm yeah. just I I the other side of it is that. Um, I'm not trying to make myself happy. I'm trying to no no no. I, I'm I'm dead serious. What I'm trying to do is fulfill some wants, not needs. Um, although, let me put it to you this way: the acoustic hummingbird was it, it, a need, not a want. Yeah, because yeah, because I really needed a good acoustic, and I bought the one that I thought was best for the money for what um, I was doing, and so it was finally you know time to step into an acoustic. That was going to give me what I needed from an acoustic, not right, what I wanted. Right. So, and and so, yeah, the wants are there. Um, I really, as far as Gibson goes, believe it or not, because of the Les Paul I bought, kind of do I kind of screwed myself because I don't yeah. think I ever want to gig that, which means 
I want a Giga Strat or a, 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 a let's Paul. I don't yeah. Know. So here's my here's my hot take on that. I think because we talked about in the show, I think we've talked about like people having um, we did you know the the archetypical guitars like a Les Paul and a Strat and Telly and uh, I think that's a lot less important than single coil humbucker. Um, you can you can emphasize. Yep. Well, the reason Which why I, I say that is because probably. I think people are more concerned about. Uh, yeah, he's got he's got them covered. He does, and I think people are more concerned about the look in that instance. And the audience doesn't give a shit. Like they're not sitting there. Oh well, he's playing an SG instead of that last ball. You know, it's like as long as it sounds well, right. I mean, who cares? <laughs> well, that's the other thing is like I've had people tell me that they yeah. think SGs are just as expensive as Les Pauls. They, yeah, they it's don't like, know what they're talking about. Why did yeah. you buy that? Because, you know, you could have bought less Paul for that amount of money. Uh, no, it's about $1,000 less, my friend. Um, if you want to think that, that's cool. <laughs> Literally. Um, Literally. <laughs> Those two guitars, um, the, the Les Paul and the SG, are literally yeah. $1,000 apart as far but as the, uh, sticker price. The, uh, having a Strat around, like, versus, you know, that's why I said, like, single coils. I do get, like, the Telecaster more than... Because because Tele pickups are not really all that much like Strat pickups, which is why it was kind of funny to me that you bought no. a three pickup Telecaster. I was like, why? Yeah, uh, you know, uh, Strat yeah. and then Tele. Like yeah. that's that's the way that should go. But um, yeah. I think you're I think you're in good shape right now. That's why I'm like, you're talking about gigging in the Les Paul. I'm like, get an SG. What the hell are you worried about? It says it's a minor yeah, exactly. plus. When are you gonna have yep. time to gig, Jim? I haven't. Um, the truth is, so the, the the most likely scenario for me um, come March, uh, that's really when gigs start to pick up in the area. Come March, late February, early March, I, I'm probably looking at, at yeah solo acoustic act. That's probably the most thing I'm going to do. And probably either that one, the, the, the um, Strat or the SG, if I yeah. get any yeah. electric stuff. So, you got plenty of time to prepare so, yourself, yeah. um, you know, in those in those 10 yep. minutes that you get during the day for a break. <laughs> there, there, I, all right. For, you know, for, for so listeners, I have, of, I have had conversations with Jim where Jim literally has said, I just got off work. I'm on my way to Guitar Center. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I leave. So a lot, a, a lot of my work days, especially weekdays when I work at Guitar Center, obviously. I'll get off my regular day job and I'll head to Guitar Center. And you've been on those conversations. I get home and have dinner at 9 30, 10 o'clock at night, sometimes later, 11 o'clock. I don't get to I don't get to go to gigs. I don't get to go to other folks' gigs. I don't get to go to open mics. I'm doing my first open mic this week in weeks. Um I don't get to I don't get to talk to friends. Um I don't message back and forth with me. Yeah, I mean, there's not um, a whole lot you could do with that situation. A, but uh, so hopefully this, no. this thing of guitar center doesn't last forever for you. And I and I mean that in a good way because you got to get some yeah. time to get back to yourself too. Um, but, you know, get the things you want while you're there. You might as well. And that's, yeah, and that's exactly what I'm thinking is that, okay, um, you know, possibly an elite, Tell, uh, elite telly um, and 
possibly um, a, uh, you know, a, well, definitely a, a, a Kepper, definitely, you know, a new, a new set of PA stuff. Um, but in the long run, what's funny is what it, all that's going to do for me. And this is, this is, I don't know how much longer an older guy like me can, can keep up with it. Um, all it's going to do is take away time because what's going to happen is I've got a guy that's going to start coming over. We're going to start working on a duet. We're going to put the duet on the road, which means that I'm going to work guitar center on my days off. Cause it's easier to get two people it, together. Right. Four. Right. Than it is more people when you have a, we have to be flexible with your, your rehearsal schedule. So <clears throat> put two guys in a room with an acoustic guitar. Well, two acoustic guitars um, and decent harmony. Now, try to gig that. Okay, so there goes my um, uh, a lot of my weekend evenings. If I don't have a job, or I shouldn't say job, if I don't have hours at Guitar Center. And I get called a lot of times. Um, like, I'll think, whoa, I got the night off. Somebody called in, Jim. I'm going to do my, my housework. And then, yep, it, it happens. And, and I'm not at the point where I feel that, not that I can't say no. I could say no, but where I want to say no, I, I've been working hard, working um, to to be diligent, making those connections with customers that that extend your you know your ability to, to so really me, enjoy so what let you me do. Pause this. This is my this is my advice to you, and then I think we can we can end on this. Um, yeah, this is a good situation for you to be in right now. However, from from somebody on the outside looking in. Um, I see you buying a lot of guitars and not necessarily things you need for for preparing for this right. thing. So I think you need to switch gears because I mean PA equipment is going to cost and to get the to get the right stuff. Now you're doing a solo, you're doing a solo or a duet. Like that's not as bad, but I you know as well as I do that could easily transition into being a you know a quad or something at some point. And so you got to kind of prepare yourself for that. We've all bought boards that, you know, fit the, the three-piece band and then ended up having to buy another board because we added two members. Um, that's that's something that's I think people can relate to. Um, and so you just you know, be cognizant of that and understand that if you really are planning on doing that and you start, like, making money gigging or whatever, you may not want to work at Guitar Center very much longer. Yeah, there are benefits to it. You are getting an extra income and you are getting discounts and stuff, but to an extent, like it's sucking away a lot of your personal time too. Yeah. So, yeah. And that, that might wind up being why uh, at some point I'm going to have to say, do it till you can't do it till you can't, right. you know, I mean like, uh, but, but if I realize like you're in a different age situation than I am, but I think about it too. Like I'm spending all this time. If I'm playing video games, I'm spending all this time playing video games and I'm not doing anything constructive. Yeah. It kills me. It just kills me because it's like I only got so much time on this earth. Right. Like, what am I doing? And right now, Warcraft Three isn't expected to come out for another couple of weeks. <sighs> That's not the game I'll play. <laughs> I I'm gonna do I it need for stuff the nostalgia. I can, play in like, I, there's, I can only play stuff in 15 minute increments. So, yep. I can. Right. I can understand that. I have been David. I have been Jim. And tonight we were practical guitarists. Very impractical. Only in Jeff Gates. <laughs>